I had to shake him on my last case, big O don't play. Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Musky Hunks Podcast. I'm one of your three hosts this evening, Ryan Reed. We have two other hunks on the line, and we have a special guest in Zoom tonight. So we're super excited. I can feel a little bit more energy tonight for some reason. Feels good. Everything feels right, and I think we're super pumped to talk a little bit of musky fishing. So it's close we're really we're really getting close to the show season. That's like you know we're Christmas just happened. You can kind of feel show season approaching. That's what that's what the excitement is. I agree with you. That is exciting. And I think you're right. So before we get into our guest tonight, who do we have on the phone? We're just going to start with Owen Seaman and Big O's Bucktails. Good evening, gentlemen. Glad to be here tonight. Good to see your smiling face. How's the uh, how's the Seaman household over there? I haven't gotten an update. Uh, dude. I don't even want to get started, man. Like Oof. it's been, it, this holiday season has been a struggle. I now have like multiple teenagers in the house. Not, not, you know, I, the kids are growing up and it's like shit's happening way too fast. If if I can say that as a parent. All right. I, I don't know what that's like, but I feel you. Yeah. I feel you. We also have on the call tonight, Mr. <laughs> Nate. But Zizuski? Budashevsky. Love this show. What's going on? I like I the sweater what? there. Sweater you got on there, Nate. I bought it in a state sale. Some some bupcha made it. <laughs> <laughs> it's homemade. <laughs> it's got all the good the good karma. Yeah, I can't tell what the People can't hear it, but I can't tell which side's the front or the back. They're both the same. <laughs> they honestly are. That's yeah. a struggle right there. Well, the good thing is if you spill something on the front, you can just wear it backwards the next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's great. It's, it is good to see your smiling face tonight. I love this. Yeah. We got to take a picture of that sweater. <laughs> so we we might have a Donnie sighting here tonight. I know. The the swink household has been under the weather, which it seems like that's going around, man. Like everyone I know has someone around the holidays that has been like deathly ill. So hopefully everyone's all right. Uh, so if we and Nick, I mean, and Nick, you know, he's he's not blowing us off. He's up in Canada. So he's we, we got to give him a pass here tonight. Working we on got, the we got Internet up here. Ooh. He could. He couldn't. He couldn't get the uh, the signal. Yeah. In, Killar- in Killarney, I don't know how their I don't know how how their signal is. He always complains about uh, c- uh, things up there. So, or maybe that's just a convenient excuse to not take part. <laughs> you too you many wobblies, know. maybe. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> so let's go ahead and introduce our guest here tonight because I'm really excited about this because this is a guy I've been following for quite a while here now. Although. Because I'm not a Facebook person, before we were, you know, even hit record here, I realized that I'm not part of the Facebook group. I just hit join. So I want to introduce Greg Jones from, how do we pronounce it? Is it Leela Lures or Lila? 
How do you Leela, pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, you nailed it. Leela. Yeah. All right. So, Greg, welcome, man. We're really happy to have you. That you, you know, I've been watching your stuff for quite some time. I got a lot of questions about the baits that you make. So, man, welcome. Right on. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So, where are you from, man? You're from Canada, right? From the Great White North, eh? <laughs> Toronto, <laughs> Ontario. That's Toronto. From the Not GTA. Toronto. <laughs> the GTA, yeah. Yeah, I live actually right in the GTA, so I'm about 45 minutes north of Toronto. Okay, That's awesome, I mean, man. I think I, I don't know how much I, I'm assuming our listeners are geographically sophisticated enough to realize how freaking big Toronto is. Like that is a big <laughs> city. Yeah, I think we got like three and a half million, but that you know they're really slow on updating. We got a lot of people coming in all the time, so we're probably up in around four million. Wow. Dude, I love so, Toronto. I love. And you that said area. you're you're a little bit outside. Are you like more north towards the Kawartha area, or like what? Which way? Yeah, so it's straight shot. If you take Young Street, which is like the main street in Toronto, it's central. You just keep going north. You'll come right into the town I live in, which is Newmarket. So I'm about 45 minutes if you take the highways, and if you hit Newmarket, then you're only about an hour more to go to Georgian Bay. So it's not really that far when you think about it. Okay. So, yeah. So, so actually, I mean, when I guess when I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, you know, Toronto, you're more towards the Kawarthas, but really you're, Central. I mean, the, George, the Georgian Bay is right, right there as well. Right. So we have two main highways that run North out of the city. One's on the West, it's the 400. And then we have the 404 on the East. So if you were going to the Kawarthas, you would be, you know, maybe two hours Northeast of Toronto and then you have Halliburton and and uh, the Highlands all out that way. And then if you go on the west side, that's where you'll hit Georgia Bay and go right up to the Bruce, the Bruce Peninsula and uh, the Muskokas. See, on our trip, you know, we we stop in Hamilton to buy weed. Um, we stop at the Bass Pro Shops in uh, up above, beyond the GTA, though the for one that's further up there. And then we stop at uh at the Walmart in what is that? Oh, shit, I wish Nick was here. Like we have like these, you know, just these these set stops that we make all the way through. And I man, I I, I love Canada. I, I, do. I feel like unabashedly is Newmarket New, New Gwillenberry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Is it I don't either, but I, I like crack up every time we're driving past <laughs> it. I'm like William oh, Berry, yeah, it's like there yeah. it is. So it is pretty much yeah. East All East right. Willemberry is just north. So that's like our um our marshland. That's where the uh the Holland Marsh is where we grow all our vegetables. Oh, and that's where that sweet little uh when you get real in that lowland and there's that big farm on both sides. Yeah. That's, that's new it. market, right? Yeah. In that yep. That's Davis Drive. Yeah, you're right there. Oh, I see it in my head. All right, let's go. And that's like always where I comment to Nick. I'm like, holy shit, look at all this farmland. I'm like, this can't be Canada. Like, what's too. going on here? That's and you're like, black soil. Just a little bit further, you're going to get to that Tim Hortons by Lake Simcoe. Yep. But don't stop at that one. Keep going. Yeah, Keep you want to go up to you want to go up to Barry. Keep to going Barry. to Barry. Keep going to Barry. Yeah. You're it's quicker. Stop. It's right on the highway. Like you just sort you're of. You're going to get stuck off. in. The, yeah, you know it. Oh, no. yeah, they, they, that traffic. So, all right, so let's let's get started from the beginning here. You're a Canadian. You're a, you're a native Canuck, so fishing is kind of assumed to be in your blood. How'd you get started fishing? 
Oh shit, that's a loaded question. I think like all all us Canadians up here, we go to the cottage. Yeah. <laughs> Did someone what you guys call someone the camp, had a weekend? Right? Yeah, someone yeah. had a weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my grandparents lived in in the in the Corthos on um Pigeon Lake in Bob Cajun. So I would spend my summers there as a kid. And that's you know, like, the Corthos famous, are known for the That's muskies. a well known yeah, I mean, uh, Pigeon Lake is was well known. Kawartha's Lake, and uh, yep. at least as far as I know, I've never fished up there. But every time I've in Bob Bob Cajun, that's uh, made famous by a tragically hip song. You know it, you know it. <laughs> and in the podcasting world, you know, there's a lot of guys. You know, Boyer, Leo. You know, all those guys. They cut their teeth. Like I remember seeing Leo's. God, it had to be the late 90s, maybe the early 2000s. I would see these lures. I didn't really know what they were. I don't know if they were Wileys. Maybe they were Leos. But I remember seeing those things a long time ago up there. Yeah. I mean, the uh, we are always, I, I mean, I'm shocked at how much Canadian presence the local baits from down here have made in the sense that, you know, you, you know it, the Wileys and the Leos, they've been run in canada for quite some time dude you know I what it is i th- I think it's I, sorry i don't mean to cut you off there ryan I, there's there's this like the world the musky world is so small and i think it runs back to that group yeah when they absolutely. were coming up you know and they absolutely. were bringing their lures and they were just talking to the people like hoser they all know each other all these guys these old builders and stuff and i think they just networked way back when and they laid the foundation for all this this networking of under you know the underworld of the handmade market now like my first year doing musky max was 2020 and i was put i was put right next to wiley and like dude i had no idea who <laughs> anybody was and we're there and i don't know who it was it was ryan or tom someone was like dude you're right next to dale wiley and i'm like all right cool like oh my god i'm not like the historian and then i've kind of come to learn just how significant dale wiley is and i learned real quick with how how much his booth filled up with uh you know with people looking to buy his lures but you know man it was just impressive you know just just watching a guy like that operate how was that experience did you get a did you get to chat with them or like you got to see that craziness firsthand right yes um i've never really gotten a lot of uh, a lot of time to chat with dale i know Ryan knows Dale a lot better than I do, but it's just like, he's got a, he's got like a, it's like a machine. You know what I mean? Like he's got people that work with him at the shows and it, he's got it down to a science where here I am fumbling around and bumbling and, you know, I can't find, find anything around my, my booth. He's, it's like a well-oiled machine. Everyone's drinking beers. Everyone's laughing. No one's stressed. I'm sweating my balls off. Like, Owen's just like you know. getting paid for bucktails and just immediately turning around and buying other baits. Yeah, and giving them the <laughs> like wily and people like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we all got that problem, don't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it really was, man. I mean, because he's so OG, so OG, and he's so humble about it. And you know, people just still just flock to his his booth, and his baits still freaking produce. You know, there's there's a resemblance with those guys. Um, I'm in the same Muskies Canada chapter as Hoser, and uh, I've got to chat with him a few times. And you listen to the podcast, the AZ podcast with uh, uh, Boyer and 
Wiley and and Hoser, I swear to God, it's like they grew up on the same street. They all sound the same. They talk the same. They're like the same humble mentality. Like it's it's crazy that that era, that generation of baymakers. They're you know, and it really is a small geographical area that 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 they are from. I mean, Elwood City, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's is well, that's I'm, where I'm Wiley... helping Hoser in there. Hoser's yeah. from Keswick. Oh yeah, we. Right, 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 right. But yeah, yeah, same same thing. <laughs> yeah, but the guys down here, I mean, it it's really crazy just how close they all are to one another, even geographically. Yeah, yeah. just same thing. Same thing. Greg said. I mean, they're all friends. They all came, like came up making baits, like. Leo hangs out with Dale and Leo hung out with, you know, Todd Young and Todd Young hung out with Dale. And like, it just, it's, it, all those guys just went to Although it cracks me up. It still, it still cracks me up. And I love it that like Dale Wiley would never run a Leo and Leo would never run a Wiley and you know, (laughs) that type of thing. I, you know, you can be buddies, but you know what? Hey, there's lines that are not to be crossed. It's just interesting. There's a lot of history overall, like not just here, Canada, all throughout. Like it's, man, getting into the sport when you like Owen, you were saying about like not knowing. Like it's just it. You just kind of come into this thing and you don't realize. No clue. Like, and then you start watching like you know YouTube videos and Slobland Flicks is talking about running Wiley's long lining like you know a hundred foot back, and you're like, wait a second, is he talking about the same Wiley's that are? It was right next to me at Musky Max. Like, what's going on with that? But sure enough. That, that's cool you said about that connection, too. There's something that, I mean, all the years that we went up nipping, the amount of other Pittsburgh people that were headed that way, like uh, guys I went to high school with who went up with their grandpaps to nipping, and it always blew my mind. Like, I, I appreciate it much more now. I didn't realize it when I was in school, like how kind of unique that was. But I ran into like my second grade math teacher at the uh, gas station at um, Angola, New York. And then we like were like, oh, there's Mr. You know, you know, Colecchio. And it was like we we're weird. He's like, oh, I'm heading up to Nipissing <laughs> fishing. Like we're coming back from Nipissing. And it's just like this Western PA connection with some of the lakes up there is really kind of unique. And even Memquisite, Owen, you ever look at that um, that brass placard in the lunchroom and like the old lunchroom by their office? I don't think I've made note oh, of it. No, it's like a, it says like Labatt cup and has like a big, it's this big wooden placard and the amount of like names of fish registered from like Western PA people from the forties and fifties is unbelievable. Dude, think yep. about, think about what a trek it would have been in 1940s and 1950s to get up there, you know, not only just crossing the border, but there were the highways that we take to get that far North were non-existent you know what i mean like imagine that travel and to say i don't know man i just i i I love thinking about that and the fact that people went to those extremes to get to those places explains kind of why we continue to do this stupid shit and when i say that place too like that plaque i'm saying like 80 percent of the names were from western pa you know it wasn't like it was like oh a couple like there were a hundred names on it and there were some Ohio and some New York, but there was like a ton from Butler, Shakora. Well, there, there, was I mean, a, it's... there was a Georgian Bay, like fishing lodge that it's was still there. Just the Pittsburgh Cat. people. Newcastle no. Club. I think it's for sale. I thought I thought Nick said it was for sale at some point. Oh, I don't. There's there's the Newcastle Club that has its own thing because a buddy of mine's uncle is like active in it somehow. 
Oh, what? And you can't get us in? What's up with that? I, I've Nick, been what? trying, but they're just playing. Much <laughs> like Harbor Freight. I want to go back to Greg here because you want to talk about. You, 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 <laughs> I've moved thanks, on. Thanks a lot, Harbor Freight. <laughs> I've moved on. That's all right. That was a we great got, segue. We got it. We that got was such a great passive aggressive segue. Yeah. No, it's, I want to go back to Greg here because you talked about like how you guys started fishing. You're going to pigeon. Like, I want to kind of hear about that more. Like, I want to understand like how you were fishing up there. Like how you, did you start directly with muskies? Were you guys doing walleye stuff? Like I want to talk about the, there's a lock system there too, isn't there to get between some of those lakes? Like I've only heard bits and pieces about this place, but I feel like I want to get into your perspective of like what it was like to fish there. Yeah. So you're right. Like. The, um, the Corth is on the trend seven waterway, which goes right all through the great lakes goes all the way through the Quarthas, out through Simcoe. It makes its way out through um, the St. Lawrence, right to the Eastern coast. So it's, it's all, um, it's all regulated. It's, it's got locks all throughout it. And exactly like what you're talking about there in Pigeon Lake, um, right where my grandparents lived was right in little Bob channel at the lock, which separated uh, Pigeon Lake and Sturgeon Lake. And as a kid growing up, we used to be up there for Easter's and um, that's in April. And I would be seeing the muskie breeding right on the shoreline in the channel. Back then there was, um, we called it the Gordon Yacht Harbor. I think it's, uh, it's been bought out. I can't remember. It's a big, big name now, but it's, it's still, still a harbor, still the gas station in, in the, in the channel, but um, in the slips that the boats weren't yet taking up that's where all the muskies were breeding and a little kid seeing these things like alligators in the water was just it was enthralling to me and it was like this is a fish you know like i can't believe like look at this it looks like well did your family back then did 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 people treat it as a a game fish or how you know how were these fish treated you know, so like oh, you guys, shit, I like... don't know what it is about south of the border. You guys take sports way more seriously than we do. <laughs> <laughs> and fishing is a sport, right? And I think it, it it leads to what you were saying there, Nate, about the plaque and seeing, you know, all the, the, the PA guys up there and stuff. It's like you guys have been taking fishing a lot more seriously than we have for a lot longer, I think. And, you know, coming up to the untapped waters of Georgian Bay or Nipissing or the French river or anything like that. Even Clarney, like, like to what you were saying earlier, when I go up in that area, like the, the North channel going into like Huron and stuff, it's, it's amazing to think about the, the guys who used to canoe through that area, like to get a boat ride. Through that, it takes hours to go from like into Georgian Bay from out that way. These guys used to do it on a canoe. It's, it's insane. So yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to get, get uh, off, uh, off topic awesome. there but no absolutely that's super because cool. that's the shit that that's the shit that like fascinates me because uh i'm i was uh, all right so i listen to most of my books I, I i i never have time to physically read any books so i listen to almost everything but i started reading a book about the whole french river area nipissing georgian bay kind of like how the whole area developed and Dude, it's fascinating. The whole Voyager system and these guys that just did it by hand, man. And like we think these places are are remote and 
you know, desolate right now, I cannot freaking imagine what these places look like in the 1700s, in the 1800s. Well, I can tell you, you know, right now, if you go up to the North Shore of Georgian Bay, it looks the same as it did back then. Like, there's <laughs> nothing. It's desolate. Those guys doing that? Yeah. Talk about cojones, man. I know, man. Like, it's unbelievable. You know, you're just being, you're using the stars, the sun to guide you. There's no maps. You're you're charting the waters as you go. Like, I can't even imagine that. I, I think about it all the time when I'm up there because you have to. The place is so remote. You don't yes. really have to go far out into Georgian Bay to, to get that feeling where you're, it's just you and the rocks, the water, the white pines. That's it. Also, I'm actually in the process of, of right now trying to plan a trip to the Boundary Waters with my to take my two oldest kids and take my dad. And like I've done like six or seven Boundary Waters trips. And like it's it's something that has always it like made a huge impact on me as a kid. I've talked about in previous podcasts, but like you want to talk about remote, man, like there is nothing like being that far away from anything and it's easy for people in the states to say oh like yeah you go you you know look at all the stars up there like dude you don't know what stars look like until you go to a place where there is very little city city light pollution and it is just a different different animal altogether and it, you know i want my kids to to experience that. So that's something that I'm 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 working on right now. I do a shout out for River Horse Nakadante at this point. Absolutely. Shout out River Horse. He actually he actually followed me on on Instagram, I think. Really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Wow. That's No, yeah. I actually I I actually thought to screenshot it and send it to you guys. <laughs> You're talking about Boundary I don't know Waters. how. I was thinking about that that uh that documentary after the joe sermelli podcast i, I made d watch that isn't it's, it a, isn't it a, a good document i mean it's unbelievable like that just that short film on places like that it's unreal and we don't have many places like that left hmm. i mean think about canada the, the the population of canada i don't know what is it per acre as compared to america you know it's it's incredibly unpopulated, but even in an unpopulated area, the wilderness areas like that are are you know significantly at risk at all times. I mean, that's a Chilean miner that wanted to come to the boundary waters and mine through it. Like, tell me how that benefits anybody. And I'm not trying to get into any political argument here tonight. <laughs> it was worth the shout out. Let's let's keep moving. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep us on point, Greg. If not, we're gonna be in a world of trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about Canada. There's a lot to talk about, man. <laughs> I know. That's true. There is. Yeah. So where All do you right, want me Ryan. to pick it, where do you want me to pick it back up? Well, kind of like uh, so have you always fished for muskies, or is that something that has come about kind of more as an adult or like we're going to your grandpa's cabin cabin did you fish for muskies then okay so yeah my grandparents 
um, they had this this big old Victorian place. It was actually uh, one of the first houses uh, built in Bob Cajun, and it was just my um, my great grand my, my sorry my great great grandfather built it, and my great grandfather was a big fisherman. So my grand I never met my great grandfather, um, but my grandfather um, was taught uh, woodworking and stuff by my great grandfather. And they owned a construction company. So my grandfather as a kid grew up uh, building dories and boats and um, cedar strip canoes and stuff like that. So by the time I came around, my grandfather was, uh, he was an expert at, at boat building and and um, yeah, general carpentry and stuff. So he had a couple of boats and he built a couple of boats for um, some local people in the area. And he just loved... Are these like the cedar water. strip, just like no, cedar these strip are like boats? Ca- these are were like cabin cruisers. Cabin cruisers. They're, they're like a big cedar strip, essentially. So they're not huge. They're maybe like 17, 18 feet. Uh, pretty wide, though, and deep. So you could stand up underneath the cabin, like a trawler, like a small little trawler. Windows and all that kind of stuff. Like they were they were well built. So, uh, yeah, he, he didn't cool. really like fishing as per se, but he would like to take us out in the boat as, you know, a family cruising around and stuff. So me seeing these muskies breeding in the shallows when I was like five, four, five, six, seven years old, I always wanted to try to catch these things. So, you know, you, you would fish like with a bobber and a worm for stuff like that, which would, I enjoyed it. I was the only one of all my cousins that I actually liked fishing at all. So my grandfather saw that so he took me out into the water and did what he used to do for his father so his father was quite a fisherman and he taught my my grandfather how to fish and trolling and how to catch muskies back then they used to use spoons and plugs these little weird whistle looking plugs the lures back then were very different they were all basically like propellers and little like some sort of spoon type thing right yeah like inline spinners and and stuff like that so yeah, right out of the gates, trolling for muskies. I love this. And is that is that <laughs> how you learned? Like, was trolling yeah. the thing that people did, or did you not like? Did people not cast? You know what I mean? Like, so I'm the you gotta you gotta picture this. I'm a kid, right? I'm like six, seven years old. We're going out on the lake just for a boat ride, and my grandfather would throw a couple of rods out there, and the boat it was a fishing boat that like the boats that he made they were actually fishing boats but he would use them in the trench so they he he would like rip through the whole trent seven uh waterway in these boats like they were pretty pretty uh sturdy big water boats so anyways yeah we would go out for a cruise and then my grandfather would throw the lines out and we would troll for muskies and like it 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 didn't take long like they're they're everywhere in the quarters right so as a kid yeah we used to catch muskies all the time back then you would keep them like I've eaten a few muskie <laughs> as a kid. Loins. Yeah, yeah. So we would grab them with the gaff, and I have some pictures. Um, I'm trying to track them down. I wish I had them, but uh, they were up on the wall of me, like holding, like you know, holding the gaff. Vertical. Grandfather like, behind. Yeah, me like doing everything big... wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Things I would sort of cringe at showing people nowadays, but you know, right. it's, it's really cool to see you as a kid holding like a a rather large muskie. You know. Absolutely. So, yeah. So you know, and I, I, that always kind of amazes me. Like it seems to me that a lot of people that grow up in musky country, 
don't grow up musky fishing necessarily in the sense that like they're they're not raised musky fishing where it seems like you at least like at a much younger age were were ex exposed to it yeah like my grandfather he, he, like nobody in the family really was a fisherman and when my cousins and i because i have a bunch of cousins who are all roughly in around the same age my i'm a young I, i'm a younger sibling and my brother's two years older so we would get the you know the bobber and a worm and we would because i lived right at the water's edge so we would just go right to the boat launch and just like drop a worm and a bobber and catch perch and bass and stuff like that but it was only so much fun you know what i mean it was i really wanted to get out into the lake and troll around and so i ended up spending my summers my entire summers there so by the time i was about 10 or 12 I was just an annoyance to my grandfather you know, and really <laughs> like the fishing, but every day I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. So he taught me how to um, navigate and how to use the boat. He was uh, in the Navy and he was big on rules and, and how to actually boat and, and uh, navigate the waters properly and stuff. So he taught me. Okay, in a so, little... how, so how do we, how do we properly, uh, what's the proper nomenclature, pickerel or walleye? I have no idea. I don't even know what nomenclature means. Like, I mean, what do you call <laughs> is it? Is, an, it, is, that a, is it another pickerel? name for Norman? Like, yeah, it's, it's just what, what's the name? Is, like, people call it like you know. I, I whenever I go to Nipissing, I'm amazed by how many people call the walleye pickerel. Yeah, we say this. We say both the same thing. Yeah. Walleye. So they're inter interchangeable. Yeah, interchangeable. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then, how did you get into? All right. So you know. I'm gonna make some baits. Oh my god, that 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 we, um. That... I feel like we're skipping on something. <laughs> like that was jumped. years later. That was years later. Yeah. So I you were um... making baits when you were nine. <laughs> yeah, you know, just like <laughs> twisting wire, <laughs> shooting bucks. Well, I mean, that's actually in the hair. That's actually a good question, though, to, to Owen's point there. Like, when you were younger, did you get into any of that? Like tinkering with lures at that point i did yeah so the the inline spinners that we used to troll around were basically like early uh maps like before the musky i guess the musky killer was probably around by the time i was getting into it on my own i guess when i was about 12 or 13 i was starting to want to build up a collection of things that would work for musky and um i had had the chance at that point to fish at other friends cottages and stuff and anytime that i'd go musky fishing on any other lake we would catch pike so it was musky and pike lures. So yeah, it sort of segued into tying like little bucktails. So yeah, when I was about 15 or 16, I would sort of dabble in spinning uh, bucktails. So I would buy hackle hair and hackle feathers and bucktails and wire. And anytime that I was in, like I always hit those like small little corner tackle shops because they always had some cool shit. You'd find some weird wire or some stickers or some, you know, blades or something like that. So, you know, I started building up a little tackle box of, of stuff that I could build lures with. And yeah, so I built some bucktails when I was young. None of was them were great. Smaller was it smaller stuff oh, super or at small. that time? Maybe yeah. three inches, tiny little blades, maybe number yeah. four or five blades, like small stuff. But they were, they worked. I mean, you didn't need big stuff in the Corthas. You still don't. It's like small little stuff, number five blades, little spinner, spinner baits and stuff work great. So yeah, I, um, I guess I did, you know, I don't even think about it. Like I actually started making baits back then because that was just like messing around, just like, just doing 
hobbies at the cottage really you know what i mean like that's all that really was so that's what we, that's what we at the hunks podcast call happening organically that's an organic <laughs> that's organic growth right there greg <laughs> i probably have some of those those bucktails organically decomposing in my garage <laughs> somewhere and that's you know the, the whole the whole process is what amazing you know like what interests me is kind of like you know everyone's everyone starts kind of okay i catch a muskie however i catch my first muskie and that normally leads to how they try to build their first muskie bait if that makes any sense so how did you like what did you find success in as a young muskie fisherman, whatever, you know, that said, okay, here's when I'm going to start mu- making muskie baits. Here's how I'm going to get started. So building baits didn't come till relatively um, recently, actually. I, um, what sort of segued me into that was Georgian Bay, fishing Georgian Bay. So I had a friend in, um, in my late teens that I had met who had a cottage or some property, actually. Um in honey harbor in georgia bay so mm. i started going up there with him rather than spending my summers going seeing my my grandmother my, my grandfather died pretty early so it was basically just my grandmother and my aunts and uncles that would that i would see up at the cottage so i'd still make the trips out there to the Quarthas. but once i got a little taste of georgian bay i started going up there i bought a little uh tin boat and um I was renting boats all the time and I was spending time on really? everybody's property. A tin boat on the Georgian Bay. Well, like even everybody in, even thinks in a Georgia... small area. Yeah, Honey Harbor is it's it's just a it's just a bunch of little islands, right? So if you like where you're launching from the main launch in there, it, it's protected. Like it's all just narrow canals and and channels. It's not till you work your way out where you get into the main basin where it can get a little bit of hair, a little bit hairy. Everybody's worried about rocks. I mean, I used to use the nautical charts and laminate them and photocopy them. And I still have some of those kicking around <laughs> Sharpie and X's, all kinds of shit drawn on them and stuff. It's it's funny <laughs> to go back and look at them, but yeah, you'd, you'd, uh, you'd have to use those things, you know, when you're learning the water, but, um, yeah, that was where I really wanted to just spend most of my time fishing for muskies and I didn't catch any. Caught a lot no? of pike. No, not at all. So I was taking all those little lures that I was making and spoons and all the small stuff that basically you would fish any shoreline in the Kawarthas or like there's weeds everywhere in the Kawarthas. So when you take those techniques to Georgian Bay, you're fishing shoreline. Well, it's it's all shoreline. It's all just rock. Right. And you might happenstance across a weed patch that's on the rock and maybe you might pull a muskie out of there, but I never did. I was just... This is before sonars and stuff, right? So I was just taking my tinner and trolling around and casting. And I did that for years, just learning the waters basically and experiencing Georgian Bay and did that for a really long time before I stumbled across a muskie. And in my early twenties, I uh, bought a bigger boat and a Lumacraft and I started trolling. I've got some rod holders and some better gear and came into a few muskies and then, you know, I wasn't really networking at that point. It was just basically going up there like everybody does in the cottages uh, on the weekends and at their cottages and stuff. It was the same thing for me, except I was camping or spending time on my buddy's uh, property. He didn't have a cottage on the property. He had like a little cabin and we would just uh, set up tents 
and uh, he had a big boat. A lot of guys do that up there in in Honey Harbor. They have these big yachts, so they they buy a slip or they rent a slip for the season, and then they go around in their big boats. So that's what his parents and grandfather mm. did. So they would leave us with the property, and they would go out in the bay and they would tour around up the Bruce Peninsula or wherever they would go. And um, yeah, we would have the run of the property. So it was it was game on. Well, that doesn't suck. <laughs> That's sweet, dude. Yeah, it was good as a as a teenager. It was great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so what did it, you eventually find success on? As a you know, what did what hit? So before I networked with anybody, before I was talking to people, we started working our way into crankbaits. Um, I couldn't tell you the first crankbait that I got bit with. I think it was probably a Cisco kid. Okay. Maybe a Cisco kid or uh, something in around there. Not Jake's, not stuff like that, like you would think. Maybe a believer, but deeper stuff. Anyways, things that and would again, go down. Again, Georgian Bay, you can only run one rod per person, right? One rod per person, yeah. Yeah, so that makes it difficult to experiment. You know, we I think we take for granted how how easy it is to kind of throw baits out there and kind of see what happens and, you know... It, test the waters but you know when you only have one rod to put out there that's you know you put it out there and that's you're stuck with it and that's your shot's good yeah yeah that's your shot so when you like especially on big water like that if you're inexperienced or you're just learning and you've had success on something you end up like we all do just sticking with that one thing and the patterns in Georgian Bay, they change significantly through the seasons. Now I know this and I can apply this, but back then I didn't know this. So where I was fishing in Honey Harbor, you know, I was up there in the summertime and those fish are deep. There's no fish along the shoreline in those little shallow weed patches. I mean, you might one in a million shot come across one, but, you know, I didn't. So it wasn't until later where the water starts cooling down and stuff where you'd be able to come into them where they would move up shallow. But my first success was really just starting to troll, getting off the structure, trolling deeper out into the basin a little bit more, um, finding my confidence in the deeper water and, you know, fishing the abyss, making upgrades into sonars at this point, starting to drop waypoints. And eventually I started getting into a pattern of actually catching some fish and I would move, I was moving into bigger baits in that area like 12 inch baits aren't big it seems like it, it that's a huge bait but like a nine that's something bait. i wanted to talk about with you because i mean you, you that's something that i think that you you know in a niche industry that's something that you've kind of done to you know set yourself apart in the sense that saying hey listen don't be afraid to run these really big big yeah. freaking baits i mean Stu big, big freaking yeah. baits a stupid yeah. big yeah stupid you're big. The you're the bane of musky fishermen. You're you were born you were born in the depth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it's true. It's... I mean, well, so what do you uh, I mean, first and foremost, what do you start your baits with? Are you a cedar guy? Like, I mean, because what can you even get a 20-inch bait out of? Boom, <laughs> telephone poles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're 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 cedar. So I use um I use yellow cedar because you can get it in bigger lumber and it's a little, a little heavier, a little, a little more durable. Um, on the big, big baits, I use mahogany because you can get it cleaner. There's no knots in it. Um, these are 
this is what a body looks. This is a 12 inch body. Oh my God. So that's, Beautiful. that's before I do anything with it. Um, <clears throat> so it's pretty clean. Like it's, it's pretty clear. There's no knots or anything in that, you know, it's nice and clean. That's just yellow cedar. Anything up from that size, which is a 12 inch body. I go to the, um, to the mahogany because you can just get Now, it Do bigger, you use a router? Number. I actually, I'm not making these bodies anymore. So recently I've switched over to CNC because I've, um, I've upped production and, um, I'm crippled right now. I'm not working. I, I broke my foot, um, oh. four or five months ago, so I'm not walking. Well, I am walking a little bit now, but I wasn't. So yeah, wanting to try to get some more baits out there and make, we won't tell the government that <laughs> yeah. we're not that. walking. Yeah, leave that. <laughs> Fifty minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I, uh, I get them CNC'd now. So I have a buddy who has a, a machine shop, and he scanned one of my original uh, nine-inch jammers, and um, now I get the bodies done by machine. So I just supply him the lumber, and he's got the programs and all the tooling and. It's nice. It saved me from from whittling them in the shop. I have a a basement walkout bungalow here, and I have stacked garages. So my I call it the under garage. That's my wood shop. So to make a body like this, where it's tapered, you see the the shape, right? Um, you have to run that on a jig through the table saw to get that taper on the nose here, and from that point on, it's basically using the spoke shave. I run it through the router, but the router only does so much to get that okay. that shape. It's a fillet bit on the router that I was using, which is, it's not actually a router bit, it's a shaper bit. So the bit is like four inches by two and seven eighths. So it's, it's pretty dangerous. Like the jigging that I use to run these baits through that, like this way through the router, uh, it's, it's huge. I'm back about three feet from it and I feed it through. Oh, wow. I don't want to be like Leo. You know, yeah, that's smart. Dude. Yeah, absolutely. That is, yeah, that yeah. is very smart. Absolutely. <laughs> it's and scary. That's, that's something scary. that I think people don't don't realize is like, especially when you start getting into like mass producing, like you're trying to do this as quickly as possible, you know, and you're trying to combine doing it as quickly as possible with the safety aspect. And there's a, I would assume there's kind of a fine line that could be tiptoed oh. there. It's Absolutely. like a percentage game, dude. Like, cause the more you do it, the more risk there is to your hands. Like, and I think yeah. it's just like, it's just like a, an accident in your vehicle. Like eventually it's going to happen. You know, it's like, yeah, you right. nailed it, Ryan. It's going to happen at some point. You're going to like, I've had baits just go through the router and there's uh, like a hairline fracture in the lumber that you don't see. And it just shatters. Just explodes. Yeah. And it's those those router bits are spinning at like 35,000 RPM. Like it's like a shotgun going off. It scares the shit out of you. No matter how much safety gear I wear a face mask when I'm doing it, like a full shield, like the, the, the COVID shields, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't protect you. If, if, if it really explodes, it's just going to shred whatever's in your way. So. Well, now I know a lot of guys have gone to, you know, injecting their bait, you know, like injection, getting a mold mm -hmm. made and just doing injection instead of sticking with, with wood. Tell me the thought process there. Like you, if you, why do you want to stick with wood as opposed to going with something composite? There's a lot more action in a bait that's, that's wood bodied than there is uh plastic or poured bait. Not to say that it's better. It's just different. 
Um, yeah, it's, it's being, being, a, a, I'm a, I have a, I'm a floor installer. So I went through carpentry school. So tinkering with wood and all that stuff, that was actually what got me to, to, to go into it is once I started going deeper and fishing out in the base and more using bigger baits, I started buying handmade stuff. I came across some hose baits and, um, geez, I couldn't even tell you what I got way back when, I guess maybe like talons or I don't know who even knows, but some old big baits and I kept snagging up on the bottom and losing them. And I probably lost about a dozen of those, that kind of lure before I was like, man, screw this. I, I got to figure out how to make something like this. Like, you know, this is costing me a lot of money here. And <laughs> like, cause I didn't really know where the bottom was. And I was, every time I was going out there, I was just trying to experience new water and find new things. Cause it's so vast out there. So that, yeah, that led me into making wood baits and, and trying to carve out something that, you know, was cool to me and um, a different shape. A lot of guys um, make flat-sided baits, really easy uh, to make that. And I started out, I did that as well. It was just really easy to, to have like a deck board and um, just run it through the router. And I just didn't like the shape of them. So I wanted to make something a little more detailed and put a little bit more time into it. And as I did it, I started to love the contours of the baits a little more. But the problem was, is it took me about to get to this point right here. So, which is just a finished body. It was about three and a half hours. So it was a long time hand shaping them and carving them. And so we've yeah. talked about the spoke shave in the past because the fret hold does the same thing. And it's a, a labor intensive. Yeah. That was, I was, I was just saying there. Yeah. It, it was taking me about three or four hours to, to make a bait from start to finish when I was doing it that way. And uh, yeah, the spoke shaving is, it's a great tool. Like you can really, you can dial it in nice and uh, you can do some really fine detail with it, but no matter what you're sanding the shit out of it, you were sanding like crazy. And this cedar, man, once it gets into your lungs, it doesn't really come out. It's, it's pretty nasty stuff. No matter what kind of masking or ventilation system you have in there, the dust is just, you're, you're eating dust no matter what. So. So when you get the CNC product, like, you know, delivered to you how much work do you have to do it after that point like how much sanding or is it pretty much in a position where hey it's ready to prime and seal and that's so you can see that it yeah you can kind of see the cnc marks on that for our listeners you can't clean. see there's lines in it so i seal yeah. it so they're not they're not drilled through so right so yeah they're not through wired yet so i drill a hole right through the whole body and the hook hangers and underneath where the uh the tie point will come in. So I fully through wire it and then I seal it, the wood, which is densifying the wood. And then from that point on, I assemble the bait and backfill it with epoxy and put the hook hangers in there, put the lip in there, screw it, and then fill all the holes. And then I seal it with um, two coats of epoxy, which gets you to this point. So that's that's a fully finished bait ready for paint assembled so it's not much for our listeners but but uh, you guys can see it on the video here it's it's pretty right, much so nice and clean and the, smooth here's the question what's your what's your epoxy of of choice <laughs> <laughs> i can tell you but i have to kill you <laughs> i think hey, if, joe, if it's joe a proprietary... peterson makes a great product i'll just say that there you go 
Yeah. True coats. Uh, it's, it's great stuff. I can't touch it. I react to it like crazy. I think because I've worked with so much epoxy over the years in the flooring industry that I'm, I've built up a little bit of, uh, a reaction to it. So some really? epoxies I, I use, honestly, I have, I probably use about seven different types of epoxy. Um, I've tried them all and true coat gives me the nicest finish but I can only use it for so long and then I have to switch it up because I guess my body just is starting to reject. I break out in these like, yeah, it looks like pimples oh, wow. on my hands. It's pretty gross stuff. Yeah. Man. Man, that adds a whole nother element to making baits too. You know, like. Yeah. This... I mean, a lot of people don't think about it. Like the, the ventilation system is key. Mm -hmm. You need to wear really good respirators. Uh, all the stuff is lethal. You know, there's these chemicals like crazy. You're thinning stuff down and you need to clean it with solvents. And once you start getting into the anything that's two-part or uh, urethane-based or anything like that, it's it's terrible for your res respiratory system. So you, you need to be wearing masks and, and, and your proper PPE, which sucks. I don't know about you guys, but like you guys can probably see it on my face. I have like a, a indentation in my face from wearing a mask non-stop uh, every time i'm in the shop because i'm wearing the mask every day for about seven or eight hours in the shop right now and yeah, it just I mean, yeah it's it's, it's hard i mean is, it, is this what you're doing full-time no i'm i'm a floor installer full-time but right now being on the injured list so i'm going through uh, uh physiotherapy to get back to walking so <laughs> yep yeah i'm on uh money eye so <laughs> all right so you're gonna be at the new york show right yep all right, give us, give our listeners a little rundown on the lineup because we've talked like you you make some really big baits, but give us give, like where did you start? What was the first bait that you made? The jammer. So it's a it was a nine inch bait. Um, that's what I was saying. I I I spent a lot of time going from a flat, um, a flat piece of wood to something that was tapered. So this went through about twenty iterations to get to that shape. And, um, it's a nine inch bait has a big lip dives really deep, does about 30, 32 feet, um, unassisted. It's, uh, it pulls really hard. I've heard people just call it a hammer, which it is. It's, uh, it's made to just be beaten up. It's got a quarter inch Lexan lip. It's three wired with, uh, um, stainless steel spring wire so it's hardened straightened steel and uh, back filled with epoxy the lips are are uh, pre-drilled and screwed with stainless steel screws and then yeah it's sealed multiple times each different uh, pattern has has different levels of epoxy coats in them and for our listeners right now i want you to imagine in your head like an immaculate crankbait you know, that is, you know, <laughs> approximately nine inches long with a, a very thick, very thick and sturdy Lexan lip. Dude, sex sells. <clears throat> he, yeah, put his, he put his sexy voice on there. Yeah. <laughs> he slowed it right down. Eh? He did. Yeah, my, my pulse really is raised. Put a little Marvin, put a little Marvin Gaye on right now, please. We're not even getting to the paint. We're not even getting to the paint. <laughs> Paint yet. We'll get um, we'll get to the paint down the road. God, I'm, I'm I'm sweating. Greg said it's getting a little warm in here. 
<laughs> so you start yeah. with the nine inch jammer. The nine and, inch jammer. Uh, yep. what, what do you do? You you end up going bigger, smaller. Like you find some success with that. And w- where do you go from there? So yeah, I started fishing it, and it was um, in the right application. It was working really well out there. But throughout the seasons, and and as the the fish move through different bites. Um, there's different things you want to do. So jointed baits work really good in um, the transition from spring to summer. Um, in the springtime, you want stuff that's really shallow that you can cast. So this jammer is really only good for, well, it's not really only good, but for where I was fishing and what I was doing, it was built to get down there and just crash off bottom, which is a great midsummer bite and fall bite. So I wanted to try to transition into bigger stuff because that's what was working for me. And cause I knew I was getting bites on that all through throughout the season. So I wanted to size up the jammer to something a little bigger and I wanted to make it a jointed. And it seems like as a bait maker, when you start selling things, everybody wants to see a jointed bait. So I felt the pressure from, from people to, to get a jointed bait out there. So so I got the uh, the jointed jammer. That was the next one that I did, which wasn't really much to change it. I just done a a yeah, few what, different prototypes. Uh, like, did you did you have to change the weighting or anything like that? I actually don't weight them. I I uh, I went through a significant amount of prototypes to to get away from melting lead and uh, and weighting them. So if if these were red cedar, I would have to weight them because of the buoyancy. Um, but yeah, with the yellow cedar, it's a little more dense. It's it's basically like the the weight of poplar, so it's hmm. it's not super heavy, really really buoyant, and um, yeah, I don't need to weight them. So luckily, that's amazing. That's amazing to me, just how how much difference the you know the buoyancy of the wood makes. Like that, you, uh, you know, you you have to you know you have to try to control I and mean, quality control in some way. And you're constantly dealing with different densities of wood and one piece of wood might be slightly more dense or less dense than another. I don't know. It just seems like a real guessing game to me. Oh, it totally is. And honestly, when I was first making baits, I would think about trying to find the same weight and I was weighing them and stuff. And as I built more of them, I was like, you know what, this one is significantly heavier than the other one. And the action isn't really all that different. In the jammer, it isn't anyways, because the lip is so big. There's so much resistance on that. A heavier bait will get you down there a little bit like deeper. When I say a little bit, maybe a foot more. It's not a lot on like it's basically a three to one dive curve. So So do you it, think it has more to do with the lip than than the weighting? When you move to a smaller lip with the wood bait it pulls less and the weight of the wood or the imperfections in the wood play a little bit more. So because there's so much resistance on the way that this bait is pulled through the water, the lip is so big and the body is tapered. The way that the water washes over this bait, the body doesn't really have, it doesn't play much of a role in the, in the action of the lure. It's all about the toe point and the lip and the front, the blunt nose of the lure. Everything beyond that just sort of lets that, that the initial pull through the water do its thing. When you move to a smaller lip, it plays much more of a difference on the way that the body moves in the water, the buoyancy in the tail, the weight throughout the bait. It takes takes a few 
revisions of of trial and error to figure that out on each different style of bait with a tapered bait you get a little bit more body roll like uh shoulder to shoulder belly roll um on a on a big lip bait like that when you have a flat-sided bait you're going to get a lot more tail kick out of a, a big lip bait like that so now do you do you get people that ask for okay can you make me that exact same bait profile but with a smaller lip or anything like that or is it basically listen this is what this is what works i know it works as a bait maker i've tested this this model this is this is it you know what i mean sure yeah yeah lots of people have a um a preference as to the style of bait that they want and I mean, you want to appease everybody as a bait maker. You want to be able to sell baits to people for what you want to make what they what they want to use. But it takes so many revisions to get a bait consistent, and you know that's going to produce. I have to shoot people down when they ask for something specific other than what I already make because it got, it, it goes through an R and D process that I try to fish my baits for a season before I sell them. And make sure that they're working and and pro and prototype them properly. Make sure that they're durable enough or that the lip, you know, it, it's that it's the it's got the action or the style that I want it to have or I perceive that's gonna work. I think so this is a- this is interesting too. Because when you when you get to a point with musky fishing, you start kind of realizing like initially you just want to buy everything that looks cool. You're like, oh yeah, that's sweet. I'm gonna do something with that. But then you start realizing like these are tools to catch fish like that bait does a very specific thing and it's very good for you know like you you're talking about getting deeper and fishing the georgian bay with that bigger profile like that bait will catch fish here in pennsylvania too but you know like for somebody that's been doing this for long enough they're gonna know exactly what they want out of that bait right like do you see that? Do you see like a lot of guys that are fishing that specific style, like deeper kind of gravitate to your baits? Yes, definitely. And, and they're a great tool on waters like yours where you can run multiple rods because they're, they get down instantly. Like they, um, they pull initially like a two to one dive curve and then it, it pans out and it will keep diving um, the faster you go actually. So um, when I went through the prototyping process, I, I made sure that I could get them up to speed and, uh, they won't blow out. I've, I've trolled them 15 miles an hour, literally. Cause yeah, I was, was wanted... going to ask, like, kind of, I was going to ask kind of like how, how, how extreme, do you, how extreme do you get? Wow. Well, that's, Dude. I mean, for us, it seems, it seems stupid and insane. And did right? you get but any we, tuna? That's it. That's, that's what made me want to go those speeds and see. So I use, um, Fiber, pure fiberglass surf rods um, for trolling in in the late season up here. Because the bigger baits, you want to have something that's just not gonna you're not gonna have to worry about and can handle the the pull and the and the hit of a of really big fish in the cold weather. So thinking about it that way, you know, I had some guys reach out on Instagram and on social media asking if they would work in saltwater. So a couple of years back, I I just wanted to see. And so I did, I, I, I told them as fast as I could go. I made a few tweaks and yeah, all, all the lures that I put out now, they, they don't blow out at like 10, 10 plus miles an hour. Dude, this is, I'm, I'm ruined right now because Nate's <laughs> like staring at me. Cause he knows I just like my I eyes know. are 
as big as pie plates. I'm just like, what? Because like, dude, that is my thing. Like, go like trolling high, and and it's within reason. Like, I don't know that I would do 15. My boat won't even do 15 miles an hour. But if, <laughs> but if it would, I would I would absolutely troll that fast. Like, I talk to guys like it, it's the water temps here. Are like, it was right after like they dipped into like the 40s. And guys were going like three miles an hour here, like two, eight, three miles an hour. And I'm like, I can't even physically troll that slow. Like, yeah. Every, every time I'm five. fishing, every time I'm fishing, I tell Ryan, I'll text him. I'll be like, this is what I'm doing. He goes faster. faster. Every time. Faster. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm trolling it. I'm trolling it six miles per hour. Faster. faster. I feel a need <laughs> for speed. Dude, when I was in ever slow down. Dude. The last Nipissing trip, every time he's like, Don't be afraid to go faster. I'm like, oh, oh, right. faster. He's like, Four do seven, it. do go, it, five, faster. five, six miles an hour, <laughs> do it. Like, that is impressive, dude. I love miles this. An hour. I, I freaking love it so much. Oh, I like your train awesome. of thought, though. The, 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 the faster is it definitely works. And not to say that I'm trolling these things for muskies 10 miles an hour because that's insane, but. Um, I have, it is it, Greg? I have been is caught so about Greg? six really? and a half miles an hour really? out there in the summertime. A few <laughs> times, so. yeah, and uh, honestly, you need, you need a good rod for it, but muskies hit at six miles an hour. I hate, I hate to say that, but yeah, they, they do. They, they like, sometimes it's just the, the speed and I've done a few tests on just seeing how fast they'll hit. And I've caught fish on the jammer 25, 30 feet down in the summertime going really 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 fast and cranking bottom like that was I gotta, how i did the r d was just uh, i want to go fishing with I gotta, you. i gotta go i want to go fish with you like that's exactly I what i was thinking nader i was Fifth like I'll crank it i want to come up and troll fast with greg like that's what i want to do this year yeah yeah that's what the lexan honestly it's malleable so, like, look so at these, how thick that these is. will absorb like it's it, if this was a uh the same bait with this with a metal lip it would be a little less tolerant. It would cut harder through the water. And when you're going really fast and you're cracking into the rocks, if you're just sending it down or you speed up or you shoot it and it hits the bottom, the only place that's really going to absorb that is right at the, the lip where it hits the body. And not to say that Lexan is, is better than metal for cranking bottom because it, it really depends on the way that the bait's built and the wood and, and the type of epoxy. But I've split a bunch of baits at at that point, so that's why I went with with Lexan was just to to see if it would absorb it. And so far, I haven't seen any separation on any of the lips of any of the baits that I've made. And um, so right now, as as we're like talking about the baits, like just give us a quick rundown. Where can our listeners go to look at these baits? Because I mean, you got to kind of look at them to see what we're talking about here and how thick these lips are. <laughs> so yeah, just Lila Lures, L-I-L-A-L-U-R-E-S on any social media platform. Um, basically, Instagram is where I just post pictures and videos and, you know, stupid big, big bait content. I think that's Gigantic where most, most people yeah. have seen the big baits. So I was <laughs> doing some testing out there and getting some videos. I hate being behind the camera. So I was going to say, how much get... do you love being on the camera? Yeah, I hate it. I'm so <laughs> awkward. As you can see, like... Yeah, it's 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 not really my jam, but um, yeah, I had to get some content because they're just it's really hard to take a picture because the bait bodies are all the same. They're all based off of the same jammer body. So I've just sized them up or down. So it's hard to tell in a picture whether it's a 16 inch bait or a six inch bait. 
because it looks the same. Right. You need reference. So having me in the video behind it, putting it in the water is a, a great that, reference. And that is, yeah. that's something to watch you holding a 20 inch bait behind that in that boat. And just it's like, wow, that's a big, big ass bait. <laughs> did, yeah. did he just steal that from Cabela's? <laughs> he took that off the display rack. He, I he, seen he, it. He, so he stole that right off the ceiling. <laughs> Yeah, those That's beats bullshit. run really, really nice too. The, they need speed though. You can't really troll them slower than like three miles an hour. They're, I, I thought they, it was fake the first time I saw one of those clips. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was like, so, I was like, oh so wow. I. Yeah, I was like, this isn't real. Like, and I was like, oh, this is re very real. And yeah, then yeah. you started. Then you started posting actual, you know, net shots. Oh, yeah, I was like, this is very catching real. fish on those. I'm like, wait <laughs> yeah. a second, is yeah. that? Yeah, that's the one. Wait a yeah. second. G give me one second. Yeah. One second. <laughs> sure. Take your time. Yeah. Dude, just that... while he's while he's grabbing it, the first time I saw that video, there it is. Oh. Dude, there it is. Oh. Look at there this it thing. Is. So I figured I'd grab this guy. Look at and this show thing. You. What size hooks are those? 14 aught. <laughs> oh my god, 14 aught. <laughs> I didn't even know they made 14 aught. I think I'm they're 15 bucks a hook or something. I think they're I'm thinking 10 aught. <laughs> No, so yeah, that's people can't see it, but just imagine a wet dream. <laughs> Hold on, so let me get a picture of this. Imagine, this. Im imagine like Jonah and the whale, and <laughs> the whale being the most beautiful bait that you could possibly imagine. The horniest so, whale ever. So I made a couple of those from that video. There was a a couple guys. Um, deep sea fishing for tuna that that wanted a couple of them so i don't sell, i've only made six of those baits now and uh i won't sell them outright but this one guy twisted my arm with like an obscene amount of money and i sold him uh a 20 inch a 16 inch and a 12 inch and he's out in um somewhere in mexico and he's catching yellowfin wahoo and i think kingfish or seriously that's yeah. awesome yeah yeah oh so, dude that's badass i'm that's waiting to get a, i'm waiting to get a picture of one of them sawing yeah. in half or something from from one of these fish because they're wood it's just wood and epoxy like i don't i can't see them holding up to like an 800 pound tuna but who it's knows a, right it's that through wire it's that well yeah wire. As, <laughs> as i go up in size in the bait i go up in the wire as well so the the regular jammer and the nine inch they all have uh 116th wire and as I go up, I go up a millimeter um, in each one. This is a 12 inch. So this is a nine inch right here. And then wow. that's the 12 inch. And it's the six inch right there. So yeah, as I try to make them a little more durable as I go up. So that that big bait was uh, a three eighths lip, whereas all the other ones are quarter inch and the six inch is a three sixteenth lip. So still oh. very thick, but but uh, a little more fitting to the the smaller bait. That I don't know, man. I, I, I'm always, yeah, I'm always <laughs> amazed giant. at how you kind of like how it gets scaled up and down like that, and how it it just amazes me. It's awesome, man. I it love was a it. lot easier once um, I hooked up with my buddy Sandro um, at the CNC shop, where I could just do it on the program, and it's it's really enabled me to to bring the consistency up and make them all the exact same and uh, have some fun with trying different things. So now I've ventured into making the, the shallow jammer, which is something that the guys on 
the St. Lawrence oh. or Lake St. Clair want. So it's the same bait, same body, but I it like has a that. much smaller lip. It only goes down eight feet at the most. And um, I haven't really sold I was going to ask you, okay, because the BWB, the Blue Water Baits, is, is something that I follow. And they make, I mean, he makes, I don't know, like even a smaller lip. Like a, a like a nine inch bait. What is it? The herring or something like that. Yep. And the lip is not very, not very big, but it's it's extremely thick. I mean, is that something that you? So you touched on something there. So Lydio is probably our our um. How do I say it? He's probably our our highest producing handmade musky bait guy here in Canada for, for building handmade baits. He is a workhorse. That guy's work ethic is insane. And um, I've became friends with Lydio over the years as, as I got into bait making and, and networking a little bit, he reached out, I bought a couple of baits off him and um, he's helped me a lot. He's given me a lot of, of tips and stuff. And I owe a lot of um, the finished details of my lures to Lydio. He's, he's really, he's, just got a heart of gold. He's, he's one of the nicest guys out there. He'll do anything for you once you're in his inner circle. And he's really uh, helped Leela Lures progress to the where to where it is now. And what you were saying there that's, about... That's having... what I like about musky fishing, man. I mean, and I'll say that just right off the bat is that there's... There doesn't seem to be this cutthroat mentality with bait makers i mean there is competition i mean there's healthy competition there's definitely stuff but the fact that somebody like lydio would would help out you know what i mean and and even try to help out in any way i think speaks volumes to kind of who we are as musky fishermen absolutely it's the um the bait making world is is really much like that and uh, I would honestly say if you're a bait maker and you connect with any one of these guys at the show and you have uh, a firsthand conversation with them, I bet any one of these guys would open up to you and answer some of the questions that, you know, maybe you're treading, you know, infringing on somebody's privacy a little bit, like what kind of epoxy they use. Mm. <laughs> 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 or, you know, like stupid little things that you're you're trying to learn and you don't know how to get over like how to make a jig for for chamfering a body or getting into right. a, a contour or something like that you know these guys they'll help you along the way and Lydio is definitely one of those guys if you've if you've come across him you've talked to him that guy's willing to help anybody he wants people to catch fish plain and simple well, and like cool. you were I've saying been, about I, his unfortunately I've never met Lydio I mean if he if he ever listens to the podcast we'd be thrilled to have him on at some point but well, you'll meet him at the new york show he's coming down oh really it's, it's gonna be impressive what he he no he, shit you're gonna be shocked at this booth man this guy oh so it's you, good so is... it's good oh okay okay all right so so that's an interesting thing you brought up okay so we all do musky max every single year and there's always a blue water baits booth but it's not the it's it's the res x portion if yeah. that makes sense which is yeah. more the smaller the smaller baits it's not the it's not the the lydio produced baits but to hear that he's it, it, you know that he's coming for the new york show with like his full spread 
is something that's going to bring. Yeah. If you're listening out there, I mean, dude, like his baits are bulletproof, sought after. Yeah. To a degree that I don't, I don't necessarily understand. You know. I mean, yeah, truthfully. honestly. So the if you know anything about George and Bay, <laughs> you probably know first and foremost it's got to be one of the hardest waters to catch a fish on. It yeah. it is a grind and. If you're fishing Nipissing, um, French River, anything up in the North Channel, where Nick is, up in Killarney, anywhere on Georgian Bay, it is a grind. Even in Severn Sound, where the population is probably five times where like what it is anywhere else in Georgian Bay, it is a grind really? to catch fish. Yeah, it's it's because it's the southernmost bay and it's it's a lot more fertile. You have a lot more weed yeah. down there. So you're going to get a lot of cabbage dragons in there and a lot, a lot smaller fish. You will come across some big ones, but um, you know, you're going to, your numbers are, are good down there. There's a lot of breeding that happens. So um, Lydio's Cisco, which is a, uh, it was a 12 inch bait. It was one of the, one of the, the more durable baits. Once I started getting into trolling um, years ago and networking, with people, uh, I got a, a 12 inch Cisco and I was trolling, um, on a pattern that was starting to work for me in early fall. And in one weekend we caught, I think it was 26 fish mm -hmm. on that one bait huh? and it's still kicking to this day. And it's the oh, ugliest shit. bait you've ever seen. It's a, it's a reverse crackle frog. So it's a, a yellow body. It's crackle with some fluorescent orange dots, black dots on it. And uh, I think I caught uh, seven or eight fish in one day on that thing. It's a workhorse bait. Yeah. yeah and those said, those, and yeah, that's on Georgian Bay. So that's not a quarter lake baits. number. Like that's like for Georgian Bay, those are pretty insane numbers. We got a, a couple over 50 inches and it was, uh, yeah, my, to this day, my best producing bait still. Well, dude, that's insane. Georgian I know. Bay type that's number. Insane like, numbers, like that's yeah. not, you know. Yeah. Oh, and that's kind of something I wanted to get into was kind of the difference between, you know, you fish in Georgian Bay, but then you also have the Kawarthas. I mean, there's a reason why you go from, you say, okay, I'm not going to fish in the Kawarthas. I'm going to fish in the Georgian Bay. Like, what is it? Like, uh, like, Ever since I started musky fishing, you talk about the Kawarthas, and it's like numbers, 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 but small, small, small. You talk about anywhere else, and it's, you know, oh, uh, uh, searching for a, a needle in a haystack, but it's going to be a a monster. I mean, you, you mentioned Slobland earlier, like Pal Garon, he does a guide service out of Georgian Bay. And um, Matt O'Brien up on the French River, right? Uh, and the Shotier Lodge. It's, the Slobland guys are dialed. And when you come into guys like that, if you're looking to actually catch those really big fish, you can go to the big water. You just need to hire a guide. You don't need to, but I mean, I would recommend it. And they're going to show you some tactics and ways to approach structure or a certain bite or to break down the water where you're actually going to be more successful. And on the Kawarthas, you could do that yourself because it's not really that big. You can go out in a little tinner and you can just start sense. finding some weeds and yeah. casting some bucktails or, 
bulldogs or tubes or whatever, whatever your pleasure, they'll bite everything out there. The, the numbers are plentiful and there are big fish. They're just not the same strand and they're not eating the same forage. So when you get into the to Great Lakes strand, the St. Lawrence and the Ottawa, Georgia Bay, um, Nipissing, they're, the forage that they're eating is different and they're a different strand. They just get much, much bigger and the the bone structure is bigger. They keep growing. Whereas on the Quarthas, if you're if you're coming across a 48 or a 50 inch, it's a huge fish. Now, this isn't like Chautauqua, where if you catch a 48, it's a big fat fish. This is like a 48 that's pretty skinny like a pike. And it's just the genetics. Yeah. When you take Chautauqua genetics, like they are they're a breeding factory that they that they have down there. When you take those genetics and you put them anywhere that's in a great Great Lake system, which apparently um, we've bought some fish from there years ago, and you stock them in um, in bigger bodies of water with with that potential, though that strand gets huge. They have the potential to grow really long, and they get really really fat. You guys have a really good fishery down there. Absolutely. Really I mean the 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 Chautauqua strain, and I don't know if that's like I don't know. Ryan, is that a strain in and of itself? Or is that part of the Great Lakes strain of muskie? That's a better question for Nick. Yeah, I just, I just not here, damn it, Nick. Yeah, right. Like I, I just, I just know taking the night off. (laughs) I just know that 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 lake is also. I still think it's still a bird stock lake. So, I don't know. I'm I'm not really like up to speed on that. I've always, I've always been. the difference between the Kawarthas and any other lakes has always kind of amazed me because, you know, you think about geographically, you know, what is different about the Kawarthas as opposed to, you know, the Georgian Bay or Nipissing or things like that. And let me also say this. I mentioned earlier that I was trying to take my kids to the Boundary Waters. You look at the Boundary Waters. The... Lake of the Woods is west of the Boundary Waters. Okay? So, if you're looking at a map, like, the Boundary Waters could include muskies just like anywhere else, but they're not to be found at all. Like, I I just, I don't necessarily understand that in the (laughs) sense that, like, you have a Kawartha strain, you have a Great Lakes strain, and then you have these areas in Minnesota or Wisconsin that are known as musky areas, you know, Mill Lacks, all these areas are further south than the areas I'm talking about. And there's just no muskies to be found. It's, it, I don't know. That is just the question flying. for every yes. musky body of water is where are they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, and, why, and why are they there? Yeah. So you guys in, I think all of the bodies of water that you guys, and I'm just, this is just a broad spectrum guess. I think you guys stock pretty much every body of water that has muskies or, or, or at one point had natural reproduction. Yeah. So I don't know if you, if, if your um, fisheries department is, has kept up with trying to keep the same genetics there or not, but different genetics put in different bodies of water can do different things. And that's what I was mentioning about the Chautauqua Lake. I just remember a couple of guys talking about um, that strand being stocked. 
So um, we used to have a ton of transparency in the sense that, in fact, Ryan, if you go back on his YouTube page, like from 2019, probably, right? Uh, you know, he actually got to go to the hatchery in Pennsylvania, be, you know, and Jared, this guy, Jared Sayers, who was our hatchery manager, he was a big musky guy and he was like very transparent, you know, honestly about, you know, how it all happened. And I think right now there's a lot of questions as that, you know, what's, what's going on with the whole. Yeah. I listened to that episode. It sounds like, and we have the same sort of thing here. It's just putting the right type of personality or the right person in the right position. And it sounds like that Jared Sayers guy was a, a, a really detail oriented guy across his T's and dot his I's and made sure that everybody wanted to see what was happening because that's really what it is, is you just, it's all about statistical data and you need to be science, science, science-based and you want everybody to see. driven. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of analytical mind is you need to have that type of person in that job. I think. I think that the fire and the passion for muskies, like Jared was one of those guys that, literally loved muskie so much, but he he didn't fish for muskies. Oh, wow. He, he's a walleye cool. fisherman, but he loved the challenge of trying to essentially spawn and rear these fish. And, you know, he was tasked with that and they did a lot of, you know, different, different types of work to get it to where it is. And I think, you know, when you have somebody that, that has the fire for a fish like that and, and they have the, uh, the want to kind of share that information, show it off, you know, essentially like that's where a lot of that transparency came. And I think he aligned with the club really well and worked with the clubs here, the muskies and clubs to get, get resources that they needed. And, you know, we're just, we're in a little different, little different spot right now. It's not to say that it won't be the same at some point, but there's a yeah, lot of learning. I mean, do you guys, I mean, do you guys have to deal with that at all up there or is it, are you purely everything natural reproduction where you are? Well, I, I wish I could honestly give you a better answer to that because I'm, I'm not heavily involved with muskies Canada and I'm not up to, up to speed with what they're doing, but each different chapter in each different geographical location has different mandates for what they're trying to do with the funds that they've that they've they've built up and i know in the eastern section in the st lawrence and the rideau and ottawa um there's guys out there that are are really trying to get that fishery sustainable again because apparently the numbers are dropping and basically all of our bodies of water up here are our natural reproduction and they do stock to try to get them up because the pike do they Okay, yeah. so I wasn't yeah, sure they whether do. they, they do a little bit. Not, I wasn't not sure if they supplemented, near... yeah. It's so the the fishing isn't really seen as such a sport up here like it is down there. So it's just there's nowhere near the amount of anglers that you guys get in on the bodies of water. You guys have a lot more population surrounding the bodies of water than we do. So the waters are hit a lot harder. And I think we just have more water to fish and they're just not hit the same way. So our, our, our populations are, are self-sustaining. Can I, can and, I ask you a question real quick? Sure. No. About Canada, about, about Canadian, <laughs> I guess, culture. Like absolutely. Canada is one of the greatest countries in the world for just 
a lot of different things. I love Canada. When you start, when you start <laughs> looking it. at, I love it. All these like natural resources that are available, like all the water you guys have, all like all of the outdoor activities. Like there's just so much room for activities in Canada. Like, <laughs> like my my question is like where like why why is it. Like, what are people doing that they're they're not as because I'm going to say this, like we live in PA, we have X amount of lakes to fish here. But like, dude, like muskies are part of life here. You know what I mean? Like there isn't a day for us, but that's what I'm saying, though. But like we have way less of everything. Like Canada is like the Holy Land. Like, what is it about the culture? Like, are people spending time in the hot tub? We're too busy building igloos and drinking beer. And hot tub. Honestly, I, I think I think I think Canadians have kind of the same outlook as Americans do, and like the muskies are not a food fish, so they can be kind right. of a nuisance yeah. at times. In if you're eating all those walleye, yeah, yeah. So you're all them pickerel. You've nailed it. So as, when you when you break it down to numbers, our musky fishing, our musky angling community is much much smaller than than the pickerel or the walleye the perch like our ice fishing content is just insane any one of these bodies of water you can go out on in the middle of the winter and it's a community out there all year round all all winter long i do want to go i want to go ice fishing for a long weekend 100 like i want to do one of those things like I get a cabin it. I've never really cottage. done it. Like I've done it a little Not bit a cabin, before, but you know, or cottage. Yeah, I mean, whatever. you should. You honestly, Lake Simcoe is only. I'd like it's ten minutes from where I live, so I don't know whereabouts you guys are. But once you cross the border in like Fort Erie, say you're only about two hours away from Lake Simcoe, and yeah. I don't know about any of the lakes more southern, but it is insane how easy it is to catch whitefish and burbot lake trout perch like your burbot there's, there's no limit it, on perch you can catch like jumbos 12 inch perch, isn't like, burbot like the lobster of the apparently they're good eating or something i, I don't really like I don't them know. i find them a little <laughs> slimy but the, the the pike and um the whitefish or the meat is just it's 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 awesome my so the the cnc guy that i hooked up with sandro he's um he's shout turned me on yeah shout out to sandro shout, yeah. shout out sandro yeah exact machining um, so yeah, he, uh, he's a big ice fishing guy and he'd never really musky fished before. So once we hooked up, um, I took him out and I, I, I got him, uh, got him onto the musky and he took me out and, and got me into the ice fishing thing. So he showed me what it's all about. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool game. I always thought it was just, you know, guys out there drinking whiskey, smoking cigars, talking shit and, you know, whatever. <laughs> that's, that's only, no, that's truck. only part of it. <laughs> It this really is. is only part of it. <laughs> that sounds amazing. The old yeah. lodge, the old lodge we used to go to on Nipissing, the um Mr. Piper's son, Peter Piper, is <laughs> picked a pepper. This no, can't be this is this is real. This can't be a real story. <laughs> no, stop this it, is real. No, Peter Piper is as real I'm as out. Mona There's from no, Verona. No, his no. son was Peter, not Peter Piper. I'm Theron Piper, R.I.P. A real one. He owned Piper's Cottages on Fraser Island in Nipissing. His son, Peter Piper, I think it was his son. Terrible. Listen, stop it, Owen. <laughs> he came by and told us, he was like, you guys should come up and ice fish with us. And they rented out these, you know, whatever that they sled out. And he's explaining it. 
And essentially it sounded like the uncle from Christmas Vacation. Like <laughs> there was like a dog with three legs and oh, yeah. like they're all drinking whiskey and Molson all. And I was like, this isn't the ice fishing I've like have heard about. This is like <laughs> oh, real, no. cra- real crazy stuff. And they shoot at wolves. And it was like, yeah, Peter Piper. No, I'm not doing <laughs> well, no, that. No, that's the ice fishing I am talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So that's like, no, because I've seen that, ice fishing where there. there's like a couch and it's like nice and they're like yeah. hanging out. This was not that. So I I got into it with driving up <laughs> 20 minutes from where I am with a snow machine in the back of the truck and a and a sled with tent. Yes. And we would rip out on the sleds, which is insanely fun, by the way. I don't know. So if you, you had your own sl- snow so, machines. So you have a but... snow machines. Yeah, yeah. So I just bought an old piece of shit um skidoo a rev 600 skidoo and i had never owned one of them before man those things are it is if you want to feel speed and just whippy snappiness like that's an old sled and it is way faster than i ever want to go but anyway so that's a whole nother thing it's a lot of fun if you're not catching fish you can just jump on it's always amazing about canadian culture is like everyone has a freaking boat everyone has a, a has a ski has like a snowmobile it's like <laughs> how does anyone afford this shit it's not like you think like, man y- so honestly <laughs> i'm i'm a diehard fisherman my boat is probably worth five thousand dollars i have a 16 foot starcraft deep v fishing ski I bought it off a guy like, I don't know, 10 years ago for $7,500. It's got a 75 Mercury two-stroke on it. Okay. It's got it's... a windshield. It's small. It's narrow. Yeah, it's a decent boat. Yeah, I've absolutely. Got I've got a bunch of graphs everywhere. I've got some fat easies. You know, it's it's yeah. it's got a canopy I can stand up and it's reliable. I've got a nice uh, trolling motor that I've networked to my graphs. I've got, you know, side scan and auto charting and everything that you need to be able to get out there and do it. But the rig itself is worth peanuts and it's a piece of shit. It's a 2001 Starcraft. It's worth nothing. It's not the size of the boat. It's the motion of the lake. Exactly. <laughs> this exactly. man sounds amazing. That's yeah, so no, honestly, no, honestly, it sounds like you have it set up exactly how you well, want yeah, it. It's, and, it's not the, and honestly, that's kind of what we want to encourage is like, listen, you can't just go out and buy a Ranger, and and have it decked out like yeah you can if you want to fucking pay you know out out the ass you gotta have that magic mic money yeah or you can buy something kind of reasonable and kind of build it out in, in a sense you right. know build it out with graphs you know put it you know put put a better trolling motor on it stuff like that like i'm more much more into that than you know Oh, I'm gonna go finance uh, a a 19 foot Ranger with every fucking available yeah. fucking option imaginable, and you know it's like you know you don't even have, you don't even know how to work half this shit. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm I'm too frugal for that. I heard I heard the big muskies look at the bottom of the boat and go, mm, not a Ranger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't have not a white bottom. Don't bite. Not for me. Oh, wait a second. Oh, wait. Is that that an aluminum tracker? Oh, that's that's something. That's what I'm looking for. Aluminum tracker. So I am am lucky that uh, one of my buddies that I've I've met through musky fishing, um, Justin Taylor, has a a Skeeter. I think it's an MX or a WX with a really nice Yamaha. It's a newer boat. It's a fiberglass. That was the first time that I ever got into like a fiberglass fishing boat. Man, I'm telling you, yeah, it's it a is difference. Such <laughs> yeah. a nice, it's a, 
day yeah, out on the water. Yeah. Man. It really is. And and Lydio, yeah. I've fished with Lydio a few times. He's got a, a ranger. Um, I think it's a 620 and it's it it's decked out and that guy is dialed. It's it's nice to be out there in those rigs, but it's it's out of reach for me. Like I don't really I I haven't factored that into the lifestyle yet. Maybe one day, but it's not in the cards for me now. Yeah. So yeah, I'll buy the piece Everybody, of shit. Everybody's lifestyle is uh, different, man. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, I am 100% a believer in, you know, a boat or a cottage or whatever investment you make is only worth what it means to you. You know, right. and if you, if you buy, if I, if I bought an, a $90,000 Ranger right now, with how much I work and how much my I deal with my kids and everything, it would be almost worthless to me. Could I afford it? Probably if I fucking finance the shit out of stuff. Yes. But it's like, why, why, why? You know, what's the point? Don't go, down, don't go down a five-year plan, please. We're not going to go <laughs> into the five-year plan right yeah, now. Yeah, let's not go there. See, I want to be punished. <laughs> I agree I, with you, I, though. As a musky fisherman, I want to be punished nonstop. I want my shoulders to hurt. <laughs> I, want, I want to be trolling in the teacher's pet, having my fillings rattling in my teeth. And I want to love it every minute. So are you guys, that. I want to ask that, are you guys, is that the kind of fisherman you guys are individually? G- give me a little rundown here. Are you guys like, get up at the crocodile, beat the sun up, get out on the water and dark, fish all mm. day? Or are you just like, Family man, you go when you have question. an opportunity. You know, I want to know what you guys do. Tell me. That's a that's a great question because honestly, like we are all completely different in that in that sense. I mean, because I I am a total, you know, I I I I I I plan my entire year around my one week on Nipissing, and. Anytime I can fish outside of that is a bonus because I have three kids. I have three kids. I have my own law practice. Like I have to like, I got a million freaking balls in the air, so to speak. So I have to kind of be realistic. All right. Like, I mean, honestly, I mean, no, that's fair. I'm I'm literally not going to, I'm not going to go out and catch the type of fish that, people are are catching that can spend that time of that type of time chasing this fish because we've talked about a million times over that really it's time on the water when it comes to muskies yeah so for me i'll be honest with you like the way that i've tried to position myself in a way to catch more muskies is i bought a cottage on a lake that is on a small, you know, it's a, it's a small musky lake. So if I have two hours on a Friday, I can hop out on the lake and try to catch a musky. Nice. You know, do you keep it's do you like keep your boat in the water there, or do you? Oh yeah, tow it, tow it to it. Uh, no, no, no. I keep it in the water, which which up until this point has been an issue because my old boat I didn't have a cover for and it sank at one point oh, because yeah. it. It rained so much for two weeks. That but auto yeah. bilge is important. So, 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 dude, it's kind of like <laughs> it's this tiny lake. It's this tiny lake, man. And I bought a cottage there for the whole purpose of being able to raise my kids there. And That's muskies fantastic. are a, muskies are a 
a bonus. And so if I can go out and fish for two hours for muskies, that's amazing to me. If my if if I can't get out and fish for muskies, you know what? I know in September I have an entire week that no one can mess with. Like, even if none of my friends want to go, I'm going and I'm gonna fish. You know, like so that that's kind of how I that's sounds, my fishing. Sounds like you're making memories for your kids there. And that's that's honestly Trying. that's it sounds like you're set up there to to imprint on those those guys. That that's what it's all about right there. Trying, you know, yeah. and that's all you can do these days with kids. I, I and Family I mean first, that. man. Fuck Family man. First. I mean it, it, this world is Eric this world is yeah. fucked up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like, seriously, like, I, I mean, I'm just trying to get my kids through this. I don't know, man. This making memories, it, man. Yeah. It, yeah. So, so when you, when you do that, when you, when you do that trip in, in the fall there, Nate, do you, do you and Owen go together? Cause you, you keep mentioning Nipissing as well. We're trying to, but we're just playing. So he's Much like Harbor Freight. Just like Harbor Freight. <laughs> <laughs> no, so Nate's been Shout going out to there Nipex. for 30. <laughs> Nate's been going there for 30 plus what years, whatever, with his dad. I've only been going there for the last, since 2017. And uh, yes, we're trying to get our trips put together, but he's in August. I'm in September. We haven't been able to put that together yet, but it'll happen eventually. Yeah, nice. I'm I'm an opportunistic little fucker. I I go I also base my musky fishing off of the one week in Nipissing, and that's how Owen and I met on Instagram. He had a he was wearing a pirate's hat or something, and I saw it and I was like, "You a Pittsburgh guy from Nipissing?" And Nate thought I looked real handsome. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> "Hold that fish up a little higher," but no, like, and yeah, but that that's where I based mine. I used to only solely do that but i mean this year i've i think i said it before but i i eclipsed my musky fishing my like annual calendar date by like 20 times 20 this year like that i used to always do i mean i went out a gazillion times i feel like but it's i teach and i have my every other monday off because we're on a four uh four day schedule so that, that's great that, that gave me a lot of opportunities and um you know nobody can fish with me but that's okay you know my dad's retired net boy's retired so i'll drag his ass out when i can and, you know i'm not afraid to fish by myself anymore even though i like people in the boat so it's do you e have do you have kids yeah i got a four and a six-year-old and yeah. and they want to they want to catch muskies in the asses they're crazy <laughs> they're really crazy i was yelling at them before i came down here to the podcast but <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, the, the youngest one's like, I want to go fishing with you. And the oldest one talks about Canadota. She has Canadota and Canada mixed up, but she's always talking about <laughs> Canadota, so Canadota Lake constantly. And she's like, remember when we went on that boat with Big O? I'm like, yeah, I do. So Big Big O's cottage is giving memories to them, too. Uh, so great. so have you do you ever fish Nipissing? I fished it a few times, yeah. It's... Okay. Um, the way that I look at it, like big water fishing like that is um, I still don't feel like I've dialed in 
the easily accessible water of lower Georgian Bay, even though I've been fishing it for 25 years, uh, there's, it's just still so much to learn. And I, I do annual trips up North and I, I, I fish other areas and stuff. And, and I love that just like you plan your trip around Nipissing. I do two trips up North where I go camping and, and, um, I plan a lot of my musky fishing around that as well, but I feel like to, to, to dot, get yourself dialed on, on big musky water, you need to fish it as much as possible and you need to really know your water. And so I've just followed that for the past, I don't know, maybe decade or so, seven years to 10 years. And, and I just, and I'm a, I'm an opportunist as well. Um, I just take, if I have four hours, I'll just drive up. I'm, I'm 50 minutes away from Severin Sound and, uh, I just tow my boat. It's really easy to tow. I just, I, I go when I can and I do a lot of camping. Uh, I'll Airbnb a cottage if I have four or five days with uh, m my best friend, Chris. I was actually at his house for Christmas dinner tonight. It was nice tur turkey dinner. But, uh, shout out, shout out BFF, Chris. <laughs> Big fish, Chris, I call him. That guy is, he is quite an <laughs> angler, man. He's got some roots. He, he's got, he's got our biggest fish to date. He yeah. Had, uh, nice. Yeah, you got a really, really, really big one up in in Honey Harbor a few years ago, and so I've been trying to outdo him ever since. <laughs> you know, you got to have those those rallies going on. Absolutely. With your buddies, so, so yeah, so yeah, I do fish Nipissing once in a while. I went there um, last year and and the previous year we we did a trip up there and had you know relative success. It's yeah, I mean it's 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 not a. Uh, it's not a high success. Little baits worked well. No, yeah, I think we got like six fish. Uh, we were there for two. We fit. We, we were there for four days, but like the first and the last day were travel days, so we only got to fish for about two or three hours each day. And the two full days that we did, I think we pulled out six fish. Um, we lost a couple, and they were biting like small baits, like little six-inch baits that walked a little bit. I used to make this bait called the Spud. It was. Uh, um, a metal lip bait. It was a nose pull and it had like a little kick out. You couldn't go fast. It would blow out over three and a half miles an hour. It was a slower bait, but, um, so that we did well on that. And, uh, the prototype of, of, uh, the mini jammer and the shallow jammer did really well up there as well. So what's the mini jammer? So tell the mini us jammer about that. is basically the jammer. It's, it's the same. It's just 6.5 inches. And I made it a steeper lip angle. And it's a little bit of a different lip. So it has a different style lip compared to the jammer. So it's just a smaller bait. So we lost, we lost Big O. No, he probably went to, he, he's outside. <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan, you didn't, I didn't get to uh, hear how you get the fish. It's, um, I'm a work in progress over here. I, <laughs> I, I think the interesting part is muskies have become a huge part of my life and it's whether it's, you know, doing stuff for muskies Inc, whether it's doing stuff for shows like uh, I got to work with Katia this past week on putting some promotional stuff together for New York. Nice. Um, you know, whether it's doing videos of musky max or YouTube stuff. Dude, I'm, re I'm really excited for New York. Let me just go ahead and, yeah, and, and go ahead and throw that out there. Because I didn't think that in, in 
and when you said you lost Big O, no, I'm always listening. I just <laughs> I'm out taking a piss. That's all. <laughs> uh, dude, I'm 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 getting pretty pretty pumped up about New York. So am I. Yeah, because it really like it's a it's a different different aspect than than the musky max like we are huge musky maxers here and uh and i don't know man i'm really excited for for there's a lot of different baits man and you being one of of them going there like you can't buy your baits okay let me just say that you can't go out and buy your baits just like anywhere like you know this is the only time someone's going to be able to walk up and and look at a or and hold it in their hands and say, okay, I'm I want to buy it. Other than like right now, I'd have to go online on the face on Facebook and you know bid on something and then finally have it in my hand. I-, I think that putting something in your hand and being able to hold it and feel the quality of it and how it's built and everything about it just means a, a shitload when it comes to musky fishing. I-, I can't agree more. Yeah, you're you're totally right. It's um, it's a place where you can go and see all the new stuff or maybe some stuff that you've seen on Instagram or heard your friend talking about, and you can actually put it in your hand. And a lot of these bait makers like blue water, as an example, or, um, Clarky, um, uh, Bryn Roach from BR baits, they're all going to be there. Uh, so it's top line. Adam Mueller makes his kick-ass casting bait, like the. I love the, top the line, action. Man. Adam, that thing is amazing. Yeah, I've heard you guys talking about it before, love it. but so these, these baits are like, you see them online or you hear about them or whatever. And you're like, yeah, it's cool. I'd love to love to get my hands on one of those at some point, but you go to a show like that, everybody's there all at once. And you can just, it's almost like overwhelming. So I'm kind of glad that it's two days because when you look at the vendor list, it's a massive hit list, man. Like it is there's it, it it's, it's almost daunting, but it's like you said, it's perfect to be able to go in there and just, actually hold these things take a look at them and see the quality or how they're built or that cool pattern you've been checking out online or whatever it is right see that's nice. that's what i think is is lost a lot like people think like why am i a hundred dollars or eighty dollars for a bait like you hold one of these things and all of a sudden you're like all right i i get why a craftsman asks for x amount of dollars for for this yeah. bait whereas online you're just looking at, at it and you're like oh you know it's just a picture online i'm shocked at like maybe it's the conversion rates or something but like every time i buy any leos i'm like man you gotta raise your prices there like his baits are so affordable dude, very, for how dude, good they very, are like, they're very... I mean, he's not doing he's not doing the epoxy coats and stuff, so the durability is is not quite the same. But they hold up. I mean, and that's he's a crazy that... charging like thirty bucks a lure or something. Dude, that's a great point you just made right there because because Wiley is kind of the same. Their epoxy it's almost like a kind of like a, a it's auto clear. It's a, yeah, auto clear so... like a spray coat. Yeah, so it's not epoxy, and they're cedar baits, so the the wood is a little soft, but they have that's why they use that wood because the action is insane. They got so much more action, but yeah. like 
the production line to be able to make those baits and the, uh, the dude, routering dude, and it, all the tooling and dude, the, the his his Instagram page is one of my favorites, man, yeah. because like he will set out like when he sets out those boxes of baits where like oh, I know, he, it's crazy. you know, he's got like probably 75 Leos like all set out in cardboard boxes and like, you know, the whole. I don't know. How do you put it? Kind of like the the process like every small process like it means something you know what i mean mm -hmm. those guys came from a little different era like bait making too and there is something to be said about holding a wiley or a leo in your hand after it's caught 30 fish and you look at it and it's absolutely wrecked yeah you know like and that's why I a few I, of them like right that. and that's like why i gravitate to that stuff dude is like i i see I see that and it just looks like it's caught fish and you can just tell it's been through battle. Like, and, and part of the reason why their prices are where they are is they're making fishing lures, right? Like they want people to be able to have access to them and right. they want to provide something that is going to catch fish. People are going to fish as opposed to like getting scared to throw that thing in the water. So, I mean, there's, it's just a different era. They've been doing it for so long, like, and there's nothing wrong with putting, you know, like, like, look at, look at your baits, Greg, like they're beautiful. They're just Thank built you. strong. They're, they're absolutely beautiful baits. Like that's, they're going to hold up and that's, that's a great thing. But I just think that era is, is just different. You know, it's, it's yeah, just it's a, a different, it's it, exactly like you said, it's they're fishing lures for fishermen that are accessible. You can Go online, you can buy his baits, you can go into stores and you can buy them. He makes it's a production line. It's it's a full-time business for the Leo family as his whole family building, right? Is that yeah, I mean he he has a full-time job. Like Lori's yeah, managing he works like, full time. You know, he's he spends every waking minute in the shop. And it's not because he has to do it, it's because he is that addicted wow. to making fishing lures. Like, and that's where having his family helping him, like you know, Lori's doing a lot of the assembling and things like that, but it's mostly Todd. He's building the bodies, you know, he's doing all the paint. He's doing all that stuff. And that's crazy. Lori's running the front office for him, you know, shipping stuff out and billing and all that other stuff. But like, man, it, it's, it's because I can't get my it. wife to make me a good ham sandwich for Christ's sake. <laughs> oh. Is is he going to be at the show? Just kidding. You know, he's going to be at New York. Yes. He'll oh be yeah. That's oh yeah. He'll be at New York. I would love to update some of my, um, some of my, I don't know what they are. I think they're the mojos, the big, the big jointed, the twelve-inch jointed ones. Um, uh, the the hogs. hogs like yeah, hog. the big ones. Oh, so they're not hog. the style that they used to be. They used to be flat sided. Now they're round. Mm -hmm. That flat sided That's... one, I have. If you're going to be in New York, I'll bring some some pictures. I have actual like film from like Polaroids of me in like the mid two thousands of. I think the first fifty I caught. It was 50 and three quarters on Pigeon Lake on that hog on, uh, I think he called it a walleye pattern, but it was like a, a tan base with bars with like a gold, gold scale over top of it. But that baits probably caught 20 to 25 fish and I've re-screw eyed it twice. Mm -hmm. I've put it back together. I've used nail polish, that's, clear coat. I've done all so kinds cool. of stuff. And it's, I still got it. I still fish it. And I've, I've recently bought in a couple more of them, but they're not the same. They're, yeah. they're, they're different baits. So I'd love to talk to him about it and see if I can get him to, to do 
make me a couple of that old style. I don't know if he still oh, makes did them he, or not. I mean, or... Leo, if you asked him, he would he would probably go out of his way to do whatever you needed. I mean, that's just the type of guy he is. Yeah, I from, mean, he, from what I've heard, it sounds sounds like it. I don't know I if mean, maybe maybe it's it's the maybe he still makes those baits and maybe just online I'm I'm not seeing them or whatever. But I have bought some some of the this what I thought was the same bait, but they're they're round bodied now. I don't know if you can see in my bait case behind me. I can. There's, yeah, there's a bait that has black <laughs> bars, the biggest one you can see there. Yep, that's a Leo hog, and that's nice. an older that's an older bait. Is um, it flat sided? But he's made so many different iterations. Like I just found out recently, we were talking about this. I found out recently that he made a whole line of different types of baits that he shipped to like Japan, China, cool. Japan or China. China Leos. And, and that was like years. That was like in the early nineties and <laughs> Cheap, cheaper dude, parts. One of them popped China up Leos. on, one of them popped up on eBay recently. Really? Yeah. Wow. Selling that, from there's like a China, China Leo. Yeah, like, and he did, he did, um, what is that, Matsu, Matsua? What is that company? Yeah, I think he said Mat- Matsuo or whatever. That He used to paint for them. I remember the, um, hearing that on the, the Fat AZ podcast. Yes. He was talking about doing a show where he was, that Orlando, he was hired by them, yeah. There was a big, uh, what is that giant, fi- the iCast or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, Out of Orlando. He, he would fly down there and he would literally paint – he told a funny story about this too. Cause I don't know if you guys know like the pattern that, um, oh man, sarsaparilla. Do you know the pattern sarsaparilla? It's like pink. It's got, it's got a whole, whole bunch of layers. Some lady at the show just asked him to paint a bait, like make it pink. And that's the pattern he came up with, like at the show. That's and he's, great. he's selling it you know, and it's running. People are buying it today. It's just crazy. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's it's amazing. Awesome. Well, I'm, sure. I'm I'm happy to hear that he's going to be there. I'd love to to get a few minutes of his ear. Yeah, I'm sure he would no, love the, that. The, honestly, the New York show is going to be a lot of fun. I, I'm really looking forward to it because, you know, it's it's a different. I feel like it's going to be a more Canadian vibe, if that makes makes sense. Well, you we're know, coming in force. There's going to be a bunch yeah. of us. I don't I mean, know if Slobland's going to be there this year, but I know um, Lydio is going to be there with, with Blue Water, and he comes... He comes with an arsenal, man. He's gonna have Adam's gonna be there. Adam's gonna be top there. Line. Yeah. So you're gonna PR be there. He's so... gonna be there. Clarky's gonna be there. If you get a chance, stop in, say hi to Clarky. That guy is hilarious. I mean, if so, you get two seconds to say hello, please do. That that guy's awesome. He makes some fantastic baits. So for our listeners, like, I mean, you know, I think these kind of show these shows kind of get mushed together in the sense that, like, oh, if I go to Muskie Max, that's enough, you know. And not to say it's not enough, but it's like, you know, the New York show is, I mean, dude, the New York show is going to have some different baits and like serious bait makers in the sense that like there, there's a lot of reason to come up to New York this year. Yeah. So, well, you probably saw the video Zach recently put out to promote the show and, and showing his lineup, which he's raised the bar of of promotional videos to to um market for a show i think i'm gonna have to follow his format there just to i have to, to hire uh, ryan reed to do something yeah. like that <laughs> i gotta hire ryan reed yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah zach has has made a new bait this year and he's done um a throwback to the old bubble shads which is 
it's basically like a a periwinkle style where it's it's a rounded body it's got a pointed nose and it's a bigger bait there's a, there's a lot of different makers out there that do it hoser and frankie baits and there's, there's, a, there's there a ton I say, of, everybody's made a version of it right and yeah so he's done a a a, a new bait that i think he's going to be um, premiering at the show like that's a perfect reason just to go there yeah i mean baker baits are hard to get as they are and I mean, they are for us anyways, and they're definitely revered and sought after. So when you get a chance to get the first swing at a new bait, especially something but, giant like that. But it's, isn't it's that what cool. makes musky fishing different in the sense that you can't just go to Bass Pro Shops. You can't just go to Dick's. You can't just go to any of these places. Like musky fishing has not been taken over by mass produced companies right. well there's not enough money in it there's not enough guys out there so i think it all comes back to the true to the biology the of market. the fish they're 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 so hard to keep alive and they take so long to grow the the populations aren't there and it's really really hard to catch one and so i just don't think that there's a lot of anglers out there that are going to target them mainly that the market is there to make money off of it so I'm sure if if you've gone into old tackle shops anywhere on the lakes that you used to fish, like I used to in, in Pigeon Lake or in the Quartha areas, there used to be a ton of them where they were just little corner stores that had um, mass-produced baits. You would get um, swim whizzes and stuff like that. Yeah. And you don't see these anymore. They've all come and gone because there's just there's not a lot of I of feel like there used to be there. more of a mass-produced market for musky fishing than there is today. Like right. there used to be more of the resin, right. the resin, you know, pump baits. Like you don't really have a lot of that. Yeah, like depth raters right. and and stalkers and stuff. Like yeah, that, which is really just an, a plastic knockoff of a Wiley. There's so many of those out there, but yeah, I don't think that the I don't think the money's there to do that. So that's why, you know, like you're saying, this is kind of why I sunk my teeth into the the handmade bait making stuff. And I've, I've rather than having that handmade full body bait, I've decided to go with CNC because I can get the the mass production and it's not killing me. It used to take me over four hours to start to finish. Oh, dude, I think I counted 57, 57 times I would handle a bait to make it to finish. Whereas now I'm, I'm, I'm half of that. And I can probably make a finished bait like this in, in, around an hour just over an hour and sure it costs me about sixty dollars in materials to do that but with the cncing and all the parts and whatever but it's better because it's That's a number people game. don't realize is how much people don't realize how much these things cost just in materials and i swear to god people were like why does this cost ninety dollars and it's like uh, do you have any idea not only how many hours, man hours went into something like this, but the products and, you know, the, the epoxy and everything. I mean, everything costs freaking money. Just everything. this alone cost me $42. Seriously? With the, with the lumber and then to get it CNC'd. Holy Each shit. Okay. So it cost me a lot of money to make. So what, he could, said, what, take... he's, what he's showing for our listeners is, is basically the, what is that the 12 inch? That's the 12 inch body, the jumbo jammer, I call it. It's um, 
It's it's a really big bait. It's it's That's a really crazy. nice. It's a sexy bait. It's got a That's lot of crazy. In the water, but, Wait, $42 but a just lot. To, just for that. Well, the lumber itself is really expensive. It's like uh the cheapest you can find it for clear is uh $9 a board foot. That's 5 quarter um rough sawn lumber. So it's that's not even one bait. So just the lumber itself is 10 bucks a foot. You know what I mean? So I need a little bit more than that just to make one of these. And then wow. the CNCing costs me 30 bucks on top of that. And then they're shipping back and forth because his, his you know, shop isn't right around the corner and stuff. Well, you know what? You should He's... really have a Black Friday special. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyways. Honestly, like that's saying... why I don't believe in any of that Black Friday special shit. Like, I don't think any artisan... Should ever have to do anything like that. I swear to God, if you're Walmart, if you are Target, if you are someone like that, you do every Black Friday special you want. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't, I do not think anyone should have to discount their product for what they've put into it. I'm sorry. I love that. But honestly, Owen, I'm not going to lie. It, I do crazy deals for people. Like I charge for the, my prices are, are expensive. So for the regular jammer, it's 200 Canadian. For the the cheapest bait that I sell, minus the sticky, yeah, get the tape the, on the, there, the booger on the nose, <laughs> the six point five inch I charge one hundred and twenty five dollars for, um, and that's a the same thing full. Is through. that Canadian or American? Canadian, yep. yep. Okay, full through through wire stainless steel Lexan lip. Everything is uh, glued and screwed, and you know, five to seven coats of epoxy. They're 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 bulletproof, right? So yeah, and then you go up to 200 for the jammer and then you go up to 250 for the <clears throat> the jumbo jammer and then insane prices for the bigger ones, which I I won't even sell. I probably won't even have them. If you come to the show, I'll have no, them I mean, those are so custom. you can see them, but yeah, they're they're total yeah, custom. Yeah, I mean, that's but, custom shit. So individually, if you reach out to me online, I take orders. You can buy baits off me directly. You can I'll do custom patterns patterns for you if you want, but you're going to wait it takes a long time for me to make baits. It, it, a turnover is a month minimum because it, it just, there's a lot of steps and I'm doing so many other things as well. So and you have a real job. Like, I have a real job too. You know I'm I mean? a like, installer. I, so I, I think I, people forget that type of shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a small flooring company. So I, I drive into the city every day and, and I'm, I'm laying floors on my knees. But um, yeah. So if you buy multiple baits off me, I always do discounts. I knock 20 to 25 bucks off each lure. I'll cover shipping for you. I'll meet you halfway, you know, introduce myself to you. It's like, I want to try to build up a network of people that, that will actually fish the baits. And I don't want to make them too expensive because they are extremely expensive, but I don't want to make them too expensive where you won't fish them. So rather than spending a shitload of time on a paint job, which I want to do, I want to try to make them as sexy as possible. I want to just make fishable patterns and just baits affordable where I'm making money. It's still worth it for me, but it's still going to be a really good tool that somebody wants right. to use. It's not just going to be a wall hanger. And they're not. Yeah, I'm, they're not going to be afraid to fish it because it's too expensive, right? So yeah. can, we, can we just clarify? They're they're very sexy. Thank you. They are. Thank you. <laughs> so there, there's, there's there's some patterns i spend a lot more time on than others and i've debated charging more for those or not and premium paints and stuff which i have in the past but i don't know if i'm going to make that a, a standard thing but you know you want to i just want to have people have confidence in the baits and they're a pretty niche 
area there's not a lot of big deep lakes like trout trout basins or well, that's kind of that's actually you want to the fish question in, right? i had was like uh, you know you've you've kind of said to yourself okay this is my specialty the deep diving you know when if at all do you say all right i'm gonna try to make some smaller like well because i'm 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 a troller four inches. now yeah, I'm, I'm a troller now, and yeah. Ryan, I know I the said four really inches. Well. Ryan's a big four incher guy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Right there, I was, that's the smallest one. I was saying, one, yeah, inch. because Greg said he was a troller now. That's what, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. given 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 the years now and and the body of water that I like to fish, I I troll a lot more, and um, it's a deep diving bait. It's made to go really deep, but that doesn't mean that I need to fish it deep. So, you know, fifty five feet out is going to get me. 12 to 14 feet down, depending on how fast I'm going. So I don't need to be out there 80 feet and, and going down 22 feet. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it all depends on how you use it. So I've made the shallow jammer to hit those long line depths. Like guys want to fish on the Larry. So you can let out a hundred, 150 feet, and you're only going to go down eight feet. So you can put that, that bait on a planer board. It's not going to pull really, really hard. It doesn't have a lot of Hmm. resistance and you're only going to go down so far so how much walk is there there is no walk on that hey greg um, look, look at ryan's face do you ever do you have any do you has anybody ever told you they were shortlining those baits yeah i yeah because yeah, I, that I've, I've caught numerous numerous fish with no line out yeah, just the leader so... i use a four foot leader so that's that's where that's the beauty of of what you're doing there because so uh, back to the the lures being a tool thing that I think some people like getting into the sport miss is like if you were to look at one of your baits and you know you have that versatility to where you can go 15, 16, 20 feet deep, like that doesn't mean you have to run it deep. Like you can put that exactly. bad boy on a board with a leader in the springtime and run shallow like three, four, five feet of water. Exactly. And that's where I think people kind of miss like the, the point is like some of these other baits and I, and, and, and Leo's a good friend of mine. I love Leo's. I fish Leo's more than anything, but when I need to get, you know, 16, 15, 16 feet, like down, like at Chautauqua, when I want to get deep, I don't want to let 200 feet of line out to get there. So the extra, what I'm getting at is the extra cost of a bait that's built tough. that can get that deep is worth the cost overall because you're getting added benefit of the versatility of the bait. Like it doesn't have to, you don't have to run it 20 feet deep. Like you can put that thing. You know, I always talk about the, the perch bait fish three feet behind the boat in the prop wash. You know what I mean? Like that's the, to me, like I would rather spend $180 Canadian or $200 Canadian on a bait. That's going to get me multiple depths in the column. And then just when I need to shallow, just short line it. You nailed I think it right it's there. Great. It's great. I mean, having a, a bait that has versatility, I think, is is just gonna make it more applicable for, for more anglers. And that's why you see these baits with multiple toe points, like like the plow. The plow is is a the staple plow. up here for years and years. I've caught so many big fish on the plow, and I actually use that as a reference point all the time. This this nine-inch bait, it has the same dive curve as a plow on the deep setting. And it's a nine inch bait 
the lip isn't what? quite as big as the plow, but it pulls really hard like a plow does. Plows have a, a very unique perch baits on the whole have a swim like no other bait. They're they're top three producing baits, crank baits that I've ever used or seen, and they're fantastic. Uh, Brian Boyer makes a, an amazing bait there, and they're really really durable. I have a plow that's that's caught. Um, two fish over 45 pounds it's probably caught about 10 8 to 10 other fish and you can't even see a tooth mark in it like i don't know what that that auto clear is that he's using like it's just got a couple scratches on it but it's as durable as epoxy is it's it's amazing and that's a black perch plow if anybody wants to know what is it oh, because yeah. it's what like is, that. It, oh, is yeah. it because it's over a you know a composite body as opposed to a cedar body you know what i mean like what would, yeah. would yeah, it become sure. more damaged i, I don't know I, I think you're right i think if it was just like a hard coating over top of a um, a softer wood yeah i think you're probably right it would crush muskies do have pretty strong jaws i mean it's really hard to open their mouths when they're biting down sometimes and i've i've actually i don't know about you guys i've actually pulled fish in before that were just biting they had no hooks in and they were just oh, yeah. holding on. I don't have you guys okay. ever experienced that? So I've that, never seen so that, that kind of uh, all right. So I wish Nick were here because that kind of leads us back to Danny Columbia back up on Lake Nipissing. He what he went a period of time where he wanted to fish j with no hooks, with just shadzillas or swim baits like that covered in Cisco oil because he was convinced that the fish would just latch onto it and you would catch it just by the fish latching onto it. I don't think it ended up being quite as successful as he had initially intended, but I think the, the idea is, is the idea is correct in that these fish, they latch on. I mean, if you've, yeah. we've all seen these videos of a muskie latched onto a pike that just like sits there or a muskrat or some other right. fish. Yeah. So, you know, they hit that, they hit that bait not with the intention of in, of immediately turning it and swallowing it. They hit that bait with the intention of just holding it. Right. So if you think about that, like, you know, what is it about a bait that you can get a, a fish to, to grab on and not let go? And that's where this crazy idea of, oh, let's coat it in Cisco oil <laughs> and and that'll that'll get the fish to, to hook on. Yeah, but no, it works. You, you need some freaking hooks. That's terrifying <laughs> to me. I just want to see every freaking hook point jammed in that fish's face. Yeah, <laughs> I'm need, with you, Ryan. You need Honestly, some hooks, man. I have a lot of friends who are advocates for the they just, you know, si they're all about siwash hooks and you know, you only need one hook and this and that. I'm like, I've lost five PB fish that I've seen that just completely dwarf my biggest fish. And that's five opportunities I've gone and lost the opportunity because I've lost the fish to up my PB. Really? And I mean, that's really what I'm doing there is trying to just get a bigger fish. I'm, I'm, I'm out there to catch the, the giants now. And I've seen fish swim away right at the boat side that were 10 pounds, my, my personal best. And why? Uh, just losing them, you know, just, just getting into the boat. They fought a lot. It's when, once you get into the really, really heavy fish and big baits, you know, big baits have a lot of force when they start opening their mouth and thrashing around and, you know, they have a, a lot 
better chance of shaking out. them. Yeah, of the whole. Yeah. Dude, and I'm a big out. bait guy. Like I said, the, the plow and you know, I the jumbo jammer has done really, really well for me. It's not a super heavy bait because it's not weighted, but it still is has a lot of leverage when a fish starts, you know, swaying and opening its mouth. So um, once you start playing those odds, you know, you, you end up like a pounder or something like that. If you catch a huge giant fish on a pounder, instantly they open up their mouth. They almost seem like they swim backwards and just start shaking their mouth, trying to shake the bait. Like, and yeah. I've, I've lost a bunch of fish, right? Boat side like that, you know, botch net jobs and, you know, just shit happens, right? Dude, those big ones are just, they are so good at throwing baits. Yeah, man. They're just so good at it. It's it, like, I, I didn't really think about the thing that you said about the weight of the, the bigger baits. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just from the fish that I've lost, like, dude, like they're just, they're just so much more, I, I don't even know the term for it. I don't want to say aggressive, but they just know how to shake baits. Like it's crazy. They do. No. And honestly, you got to think about a fish that's that big. It's, it's 25 years old. It's, it's, it's yeah. experienced. It's, it's been there before. It's prob- like, yeah. Right. Right. It's probably already been in that position and. You know, I, I don't know. That's actually why I started building the flexible bucktails is because, you know, not only are they more durable in the sense of, you know, uh, you bend up a bucktail because it gets eaten. But when the fish jumps and tries to throw that bait, the less friction and the less, you know, um, it takes force takes force to get that hook barb out of the fish's mouth and it a flexible bait is not going to allow that force to be as extreme as if you have a straight wire and in 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 the fish's mouth breaks off more easily as opposed to being think about it like if 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 you had a a hook caught in your hand in your hand and like the easiest way to get it out, would it be with something solid or would it be with something flexible? Exactly. Yeah. Leverage. It would be with something solid to get it out. And so the more flexible the bait is, it's like the the less leverage the fish has to get it out. And I can't say for any scientific, you know, reason that it actually works, but I'm fucking convinced that it works just because of Sounds because good. my understanding of physics, which is very rudimentary and whatever. That's very organic. That, lawyer, man. Very organic. <laughs> That's why I'm a lawyer, not a physicist. Education is education. <laughs> it's intelligence. Can I? So, can I? Yeah, I want to ask it. Well, go ahead. I'll let you go first. I want to make sure I get a couple of questions in towards the end of this. Sure. So, yeah, what, what I just wanted to say about that, what I, what I did with the bigger baits to counteract that is just upsize the hooks more. A lot of people don't think to do that. Um, a lot of baits come with hooks that are just the same size as the bait. And when I lay the hook on the body of the bait, I want it to protrude out on either side. So a lot of guys tee the hooks to do that. Teeing the hooks also protects the, the, um, the wear on the bodies. I don't recommend teeing the hooks on, on my baits because the hook hangers are, are turned sideways. So I've always wondered that. the wear is less, yeah, because the, okay. the hook sits tight against the body. So you don't need to tee the hooks on these baits. Um, but if you're not happy with the wear that you get on a wooden bait, 
by all means reach out and you know that that can be worked out because anybody who makes a bait and they're seeing somebody run the shit out of it to the point of it wearing through the coating you want that guy to be running that bait again so if there's anybody yeah, out there using my right. baits and they're getting wear like that reach out to me because i want to fix that bait or get another bait in that guy's hands because i want right. them running them right shout out to so, that guy shout yeah. out to that guy for sure that. yeah so. thanks that guy thanks that, <laughs> that guy. guy you know that guy <laughs> so yeah upsizing the hooks is a, is a is the first thing you want to do if you're losing fish on a crankbait or a hard body bait continuously and you love using it just go up to the next size hook but now, and how much the shit affect, out of your hooks? Well, so, so how much does uh, changing the hook size affect the the action of your baits? With my baits, it's not going to affect the action at all. No? They, they all pull so hard. Maybe when you get into the shallower jammer or something with a much smaller lip, but th- it still pulls really hard. It still has a lot of uh, feedback, so it's not going to not going to change anything. And I, I've gone with what people would think would be the right size hook for the bait, I've gone up one size from that. See, I've always been worried about replacing a bait and changing the, the action of it in, in no, thinking like, Oh, I'll fuck, it's not I fucked change. it up by putting a different hook See, on it. So See. with a, with a, like a Leo or a Wiley or something like that, with a bait that's light, it's all about the wood core and yeah, you'll definitely change the action. Maybe a casting bait, like, uh, the top line. Um, what does he call it? Uh, the casting bait that he uses. Uh, I mean, the dipstick. The dipstick, That's, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, yeah. I upsized my hooks on the dipstick and it just got more hang time. But um, I use a 12-inch one. It's a fantastic bait. It's got a lot of action. Oh, yeah. But uh, when you come into those baits that are balanced and you want them to suspend, which is an underrated thing for muskie, I'm not going to lie, casting, especially early season. I'd love to talk about that, actually. There's something I wanted to go back on. You you, went, you were talking about early season No, fishing. go for it. The, no, the, the, the suspension, the death pause. <laughs> the death pause, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, cha- changing the hooks is always the, the first thing that you want to try if you're losing, losing fish. Sorry, Ryan, what were you going to say there? Well, I have goofy questions for you, so let's go back to the, let's go back to the spring fishing. We got it. We got all night. It's the night okay, is young. Yeah, it's, 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 it's going later. I don't want to, you know, you guys are falling asleep there. I don't, I don't want to. Hey, no, 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 I'm, I'm good, brother. Listen, if you tell me right now, you want to go another half an hour, I'm going to go down and get another yeah. two beers out of the fridge. I'm going to go take a leak in a minute. Right, let's now, go, let's, let's, go. let's take a break. A second, if, yeah. If let's take a, a break. Take a second. Let's take a break. I want to get into the spring fishing first. So my buddy, Justin Taylor, who's got that, that skeeter who, um, who uh, has just completely changed my opinion about glass boats and uh, fishing. Guy's an amazing angler. He's uh, he's 10 years younger than me, and he has schooled me three times over in fishing. He's he's born and raised in um, um, northern Ontario, so on Georgian Bay, and he grew up fishing walleye and, and pike and stuff. And he's a tournament guy, and he fishes in the top 50 pike tournament that's up here and. So and that's he, something Nick always talks about. Yeah, because they so, ha- they held one of them in Killarney, and it was yeah. like a really big deal. Okay, I'm telling you, like, it's it's I'm a musky guy through and through, but nothing to me right now gets my heart going than getting out there early season. You know, it opens in May, right? Like, so you get out there a month earlier than you do for musky. Right, getting the light gear. Nice little husky jerk or a little twitch bait. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, right. oh, I am telling you, it is insane. So this is he, music. he taught me 
how to catch oh. 50 to 75, 80 fish in a day. Pike. Like it's, it's a completely different thing than muskie yet. It's so close to muskie fishing and the numbers are insane. You can get table fare. It's legal and you can sight fish these suckers. It is so much fun. It is such an underrated thing. I don't understand why more muskie, why, why muskie guys shit on pike fishing so much. We go out there and we bag a, a 40 or 43 or 42 incher. It is just as exhilarating, you know, as bagging like a 48 or a 50 inch muskie on some bigger gear. It's, and it's you harder get to eat almost. that shit. And you get to eat that shit. Exactly. <laughs> and you probably sight fish the thing out of two feet of water and right. fought the thing the whole way. And you brushed up on your netting skills or your net man or your timing or coordination or boat placement or navigation, electronics, all that stuff. It's a good way to get out there and brush up on your musky skills and your uh, just overall fishing awareness, you know, your boat awareness, your spatial awareness, like how to work a, a, a bait more finesse like, right? Husky jerks are, man, probably the world's best fishing lure. Dude, I love you. I love you. Ryan just went from <laughs> six to midnight. Just everything, dude. <laughs> <laughs> just everything. I yeah. like th th that whole like that whole thing. Like in in part, and I will say this: like the state of Pennsylvania, it sucks for pike. Like we have very crappy pike water here now with that said there's a couple of lakes that you can go and have good number days where you're six eight ten twelve fish but it is nothing like when dan and i used to take the trips up to the ivanhoe river there in ontario mm -hmm. and, and and do a fly out or a boat in like like what you're saying like 40 50 60 80 pike in a day like that is yeah magical. in like four it's or five magical. hours yeah it's magical it's great like we it took like the first time I ever went up there. I never thought fishing could be that way because I grew up here bass fishing or I, I went walleye fishing, you know, around our local lakes. And like you go from, from <laughs> like low numbers on these lakes to going up to a river system like right. that. You, you almost don't, don't understand it. You don't, like, you don't like comprehend totally yeah. until yes. you you're there. And it's like, you get back to the, to the cottage at the end of the day <laughs> and you're like, Dude, we bagged between the two of us. We just caught 160 pike. Wow! And it's like it's like, you know, like we were we were putting in 80 pike a day there a piece that first wow. trip. Now there's yes. a lot of like 17, 22 inches, but there we had at least a half dozen experiences with fish over 40. There you go. Yeah, and it's so, it's so exhilarating, right? It Shallow is amazing. Water. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I use a. Uh uh seven foot um daiwa i think it's uh i can't even remember but it's it's basically a, a heavy bass yeah. rod with uh uh carado dc like a two or three hundred carado dc i have two of them and um yeah i just i throw on like basically a tippet leader 20 pounds I use 50 pound power pro. I don't use the power pro, but I use like a, a braid like that. Um, maybe 40 to 50 pound, uh, it's super thin diameter. And, uh, yeah, just like a 20 pound leader, maybe a 30 pound leader, three, four feet long and a husky jerk, or maybe a little glide bait or a swim bait or something like that. But, you know, small stuff, really finesse. 
And it just, it really brings you back to what fishing is all about. You know, you're creeping into the water nice and slow. You're looking in, you're seeing turtles, you're seeing activity. It's early season. It's yeah. It just, it's it. so exciting. Plus, plus they freaking eat. Oh, it's insane. The <laughs> boat side attacks and the, the crazy net jobs. And yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So after, um, so Justin taught me that. I mean, I've always caught pike, but actually him taking me out and schooling me in his way of early season pike fishing, which is what I explained there. We've gone out and we've had great success early season and brush up on our, our net skills and stuff like that. And then ice fishing with Sandro for table fare. Um, so we'd go out every day in the winter on the ice and we'd catch a couple burbot or whitefish and then pike and then perch. And we'd take home a bunch of fish and fillet them. I'm not great at the whole killing thing. It, it It's no. really hard for me to do, but um, I've learned to, to, to take home some meat. And do, you, do you enjoy eating it? I love it. it okay. The white, so the white meat fish yeah. or white flaky meat is amazing. And so that early season pike, um, we just bring a cooler with a bunch of Ziploc bags. I have a back uh, deck that I made in my boat, a casting deck. We just fillet the fish on the bump board right there, throw the guts over. As soon as we catch a fish, a nice fish or whatever, I don't have live wells in my boat. And then we just throw the meat into the Ziploc bag in the cooler on ice. And we both do that oh. with two fish and we're done. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's against regulation or not, because I think you're supposed to take the fish home and fillet them so they can see the numbers. But I mean, if 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 it's know. an MNR guy and he's pulling us over and he's checking, you can see the fillets and see what kind of fish they were. Right. But you've only you've only taken this. We've only taken the two a day. Yeah. That's, That's a our tag. limit on Georgian Bay. Believe that you, you leave the you leave the tag on there, right? You leave like a tag on. So like tag. so okay so this is a thing because when we were in Canada, I don't keep fish when I'm there. We mm -hmm. don't we don't keep we I release everything, but. You don't Damn. eat it. You don't even eat anything. No, we didn't eat any. No, because we're there just to sport fish. That's, yeah, that's what we did. Now, Dan, that's the way I've always been too. Dan would keep fish to bring home, and like one of the things is like they tell you to leave like a piece of the actual like skin intact on yeah. the fillet, and they call that a tag. Oh, so okay. when they look at the fillet, they can say, "Oh, that's a pike," or "Oh, that's, oh, that's a walleye." So yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's still a thing. It I, was a thing when we were there. Last. I think it's for if you take it across the uh across the border. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if it's different in Canada, like if you're doing that, but so yeah, I'm trying yeah, to honestly, eat it. I, I don't know the regulations at all about um harvesting meat. I just know that you're allowed with the uh with the sport license, you're allowed two pike a day on Georgian Bay. Yeah. And uh that's we do that. We definitely do that every time we're out there. So I still got pike in my freezer there from the pike is delicious, man. It is amazing. Yeah, so it, easy to cook. Everyone quick. talks about walleye. Like, I mean, pike seriously, is pike is pike is absolutely delicious. Walleye is a little damn more fishy. Bone. But you gotta get that wide bone. You, no, well, you just yeah, gotta learn you gotta how, how to play it. Yeah, you gotta know how to do that. Yeah, yeah, you know know how to do that. Or you could pickle it. Oh. How about that? You could pickle I've it. I've heard. I've heard about that. I'm. I'm not a big pickling guy. You could stuff it with rosemary and just grill the whole damn thing. I'll see you at the New York show, Ryan. You gotta show me your, give me your, write down your, your pickling, pickling recipe. recipe. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I'm just saying you can pickle <laughs> it. I mean, when you pickle it, it dissolves the bones. Oh, oh Joe, yeah, I Joe Cermelli, I, I think, was the one who yes. first said it, talked about pickling yeah, was, pike. 
It was Josie pickling Pike. Do you think Peter Piper picked a pickled pe- pickerel? <laughs> Did he pick a pepper? Pick, 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 pick. That's great. Shout out to Peter Piper and his bro- his brother Tom Piper, and his mayor of Nipissing, and his pick and whatever pickle he pecker, and, and his cousin pickle. Dennis, his cousin Dennis, Tom Piper, mayor of Nipissing Township. Pickling. Shout out, whatever. <laughs> gentlemen the pool will be closed for five minutes exit the pool everyone out i have a small bathroom break i have to do <laughs> nate bud you look like you're ready for bed <clears throat> no this is great <laughs> so how how are the in-laws well um i'm trying to think how i want to answer that <laughs> The in-laws giveth, and the in-laws taketh away. Yeah, it's more taketh. (laughs) (laughs) Lots more taketh. Um, No, that's all right. Are they like? Are they not mad at you for sitting in Pound Town for three hours? Yeah, like they're like, what are you doing? No, they they understand. They understand what I do is what I do. I don't. I'm not beholden to them. They're in I'm my glad house. You, I'm glad you have. I'm glad you have firm boundaries. They're very firm. No, they 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 understand that I'm a creature and I do what I do, and that I had to go to the basement to to record a podcast and do what you do. Yeah. <laughs> That's All why right. I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> my woman couldn't couldn't understand. You. <laughs> listen i try to i try to make my spaces so inhabitable to anybody else that you know like an, ang- <laughs> an angler fish bottom of the ocean just let me be well no no there's definitely a science to that like there's 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 something to that like creating your space that is just your space that maybe is so just not enticing to everyone else that they don't want to come into it Listen, I, I, I shouldn't say this. Well, she won't listen to this, so I can say it. And she's no I shit. Think everybody's asleep, so they're not going to hear it either. But I, I'm, I've done these long cons where I've just, like, mm-hmm. I have these big maps, like big historic maps that are framed, like big fucking maps. And when we moved in, I, I put them up. I was like, these are expensive. You know how expensive it is at Joanne Fabric to get these framed? I'm putting them up. So I had them up. But I was like, I knew at some point I was going to have to put that mounted fish up. And so it was like, she hated the maps. And I was like, I'll take the maps down if you let me put that pike up on the wall. <laughs> she was like, done. <laughs> you know where the maps are? They're in my room upstairs. <laughs> in their glory. Then I, It was a net. It was just a game. It was no loss. It's chestnut checkers. Listen, I'm playing fucking Sudoku checkers or whatever. <laughs> That's why I got Pound Town and the Annex upstairs. And that's why I sit in my boat and hide all night. <laughs> what's, that map, what's that map you got behind you? That's a Nipissing map I got nice. when I was when I was a little kid. And I'm pissed because I had both sides of it. I had the West Arm and I was like, I'm never going to fish the West Arm. So I think we pitched it. And now, oh, now no. I fish the West Arm and I'm like, fuck, I wish ah, I had the other half. Damn. 
but it's Man, awesome. I could stare at maps like that all day long. Me too. Listen, I'm I'll... actually I just ordered two. I just ordered the other two from Lake Nipissing. Like I have the West Arm here in my shop, but I just ordered like the nice. the main lake and Middle West Bay. Greg, I'll text you a picture of the 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 other stuff because this is like one that they would have like. That's the like the calendar bay area. No, 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 no. I'm saying the the shit that's written on it's like the stuff that they'd glass over on a diner somewhere. It says, "I am Lake Nipissing. I'm located in Ontario, Canada. My vastness <laughs> joins villages, towns, and cities. From time to time, people discard refuse and contaminate in me, and through clean- carefulness, deface me and set my surroundings on fire. <laughs> it's all detrimental to my health. This threatens the life of the enormous." uh fish i support and is just it keeps... written in crayon no it's written in ty- uh comic sans <laughs> and that's a great choice but the end the ending line says i would say that if you cultivate safety and protect my environment you may reap my harvest come visit me you're most welcome the warrior bend over what's it why i don't know but there's all sorts of shit on here that are unbelievable weird yeah and there's a there's a woman holding a fish that says short beats housework. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm not joking. That's I'm an putting... awesome map. Yeah. I don't have yeah, any I like love... that. Oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's got fish spots on it. It's got it's got really like hand drawn pike on it. I don't it's there's it's crazy map. Oh, we're leaving that goodness. in. We're leaving that oh, in after goodness. the break. <laughs> I have all the old uh, nautical charts from from all the waters that I fish, right from the north shore of Georgian Bay all the way down to Severn Sound and Pigeon Lake and the whole Trent, a uh, little bit of the Larry, um, uh, yeah, from like Gananoque up up to uh, uh, Lake St. Francis. And man, I cherish those things. I pull them out from time to time and I look back on them and I think like, I remember using this thing in the boat in like 2001. And I put this X on here when I caught this 42 inch muskie and it was the biggest, you know, reward I'd ever, you know, it just the nostalgia that's there. You know what I mean? It's, that's what I love maps for. It's like, you can go back on them and think like, man, this, how old is this thing? You know? The, the fishing, well, fishing nostalgia in general is just really dope, and I think musky fishing is rife with nostalgia. You know, absolutely. I mean, probably back to what was said earlier about it being still a mom and pop industry, and kind of bizarre nostalgia in the sense that it's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same type of. Oh, I, I went up there to catch walleye. Like, like if 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 people are going anywhere to catch muskies, like there's lore to be well, talked. It, oh, it, yeah. there's lore and i mean even just saying going up to the lodge and seeing like old names plastered on these things and the, like i don't know it's just i feel like i'm in a time machine when i go make those the, especially the canadian trips <laughs> like i feel like yeah it could be somebody doing that a hundred years ago and you probably use the same lures you know and the water looks so, the same and way it's it's and it's even a hundred years ago god sorry it it to me, listening to the early, the early, um, the first hundred or so of the AZ podcast, um, I remember Todd talking about um, 
Pigeon Lake when he was fishing there with his grandfather and stuff. And he was just naming <clears throat> landmarks. And he mentioned the um, the cottage with all the musky heads pinned to it. I think he collects musky skulls or something like that. And um, it was always something that stuck out. Well, well, that cottage is still there. And I remember as a kid that cottage with all those musky heads on there. And since then, they've built like a monster cottage beside it. And the original cottage is now like the boathouse. But that structure is still there that those heads were nailed to. And I remember that. I know exactly where it is. And I've caught fish right out in front of it. So hearing somebody else talk about that, you know, that structure and it, that nostalgia isn't just there for me. It's, it's for other people as well. And it's like a shared, shared thing that you can have. And it's, it's, it's so small and rare and yeah, it's just really cool to hear that somebody else, uh, I don't know. The same Ryan, memories I have. Ryan, do you, do you want to go ahead and close that circle? What are you talking about? Like Todd Young, like you know what I mean? Like like you know, the, you what circle are you trying to close right now? Like the fact that you've uh, I mean, you just spent a lot of time with Todd Young. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, I mean dude, like like that's, I mean you, that's you want to talk about nostalgia, like he he is he is literally I I don't know, I mean like the whole fat AZ podcast, everything like he is kind of like a, 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 a in, in a, the definition of what we do in a sense. And you just spent, you know, I don't know how many hours with him going through all of his baits and shit like that. And he's going to be putting a bait, bunch of baits. So, I mean, that that's what I'm talking about. Like you've. Yeah. I mean, dude, cool. talking about the hit, like, so th this is what we talk about. Like we're not the, so we talk about these YouTubers now, like myself included initially, like they want to go out and they want to do these videos. And it's like some people, I'm not saying everybody, some people want to thump their chest because they had good days on the water. They captured it on video. Like you got to understand that in our area, in Canada and other areas, like guys were doing this for years and years Ever. and years. Well, right. well before any of us today. And on there's shit this that, on, uh, on shit that like, you know, like we we make a big deal about like it has to be this way, like right. these guys were catching fish on. And and the thing of whatever. it is is like we have I've been fortunate enough to be able to talk to people here that understand the history from our area, the musky history, the Elwood City, the seventy nine belt that you always hear like, and Todd is part of that. Like Todd has been guiding for a long time. He was great friends with Dale Wiley. They did the PMTT stuff. You know, they were the guys they that they were the guys that showed up on a lake that they said, you can't troll fast here. And they did it, you know? And it's like one of those things where you just look at all the history and you look at all the guys that came before us. It's the reason why I have the Jimmer's jacket, you know, Greg, I don't know if you, I, I probably not, but this jacket right here. You can see that. <laughs> wow. This is a this jacket wow. was was owned by somebody in Wisconsin that fished for muskies years and years back. And it's one of those things where I feel like we should recognize the fact that guys like Todd Young, Dale Wiley, Brian Boyer, guys like Hose, you know, Hose Hose. Right. Uh, 
you know, like all these guys. Yeah, like we don't know this. the Canadian guys, but right. Like I, I'm, I'm, but you think about this history and you realize guys like here, we have a guy by the name of Howard Wagner. There's so much history here. And when you get an opportunity to go out to say Todd Young's house to pick up some baits from him, which by the way, like that's what's Owen, that's what Owen's referring to. Like I stopped out at Todd's house. Was that last week? It was last week. And I picked up some Wiley's and some other baits that he had. And some of these baits, like he handed, I bought a bait off of him that Dale Wiley made in the eighties. So cool. Dude, I'll I'll show it to you after, like it's sitting right here in my case. Like, and, and you think about this and you realize like these, these guys have been catching fish with a lot less technology, a lot less gear. And you have to recognize like guys like Todd have been doing this for a long time. They know every way to catch a muskie, you know, like there is right. There's just, they've tried it. Right. And it's like, you got to realize, like when you get an opportunity to talk to somebody like that, it's, it's special. It's, it's important to know, like you get an opportunity at these shows, like even New York, you know, some of the guys that are going to be there, there's so much knowledge and so much. and, And a lot of these guys did it without YouTube, without any real recognition. They were just out there fishing. They just wanted to go fish and have fun and enjoy it. Like the gymmers, you know, it's like you have to take all this into consideration and really like enjoy what we have now. And you have to respect the past and just really like that's, if that's what you're getting at, like I respect Todd Young so much. I mean, he's taught me so much about the sport of musky fishing through guide trips and just to even have a chance to go, you know, see where he lives and see his garage and see his bait collection, you know, going back to the the video I did with Todd Leopardi at his shop, you know, just showing off his shop and where he makes these baits. Like, dude, that for me, like I've been super lucky and super fortunate to spend time with these guys and develop relationships with them. And it's just, it's all a part of that history. You know, 25, 30 years from now, I'm going to look back similar to what Todd does with guys like Ed Latiano. And I don't know, Greg, if you know the Latianos. Oh yeah. I have a bunch of his baits. Yeah. Right. So like, you know, Todd had a closer, he, Todd drove me by his old house in Elwood. And it's like, dude, it's little things like that. You just look and you're like, this is, wow. this is such a part of, and again, with, with like muskies being such a huge part of my life. Like I talk about muskies every day. I look at baits every day. I, I, if I'm not fishing, which I don't get to fish that much back to your, your question from about an hour and a half ago, I fish two, three times a month, maybe, maybe more some months, maybe less some months, but there's always something that I'm involved in with musky fishing. There's always some conversation I'm having and, and really to see how musky fishing has brought people together you know, not just guys that we hang out with, you know, Greg, the relationships you've established, you know, like all of the, all of this stuff, man, it is, it is truly, it is a very small community, but it can be a very special community. If you just take the time to kind of look at the history of the thing and just acknowledge that, man, it's, it can be just such a special thing to be a part of, well, of this. So let me let me let me try to like circle this back around here yeah, for, you can for just for just one second. And that is like I had said a little bit earlier about how 
you know, musky fishing is one of the very few. I don't know. I would, I would really say kind of very few sporting goods, you know, any type of industries that have not been taken over by Bass Pro Shops, you know, Rapala. And I don't, and that's not a knock on Rapala, anything like that. But, you know, nobody has come into the musky industry and said, you know what, I'm going to corporatize this to the max and yada, 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 and pushed out all of these small bait makers. Okay. Because mm -hmm. really, what do you think about Walmart is Walmart in and, in and of itself is pushing out smaller, you know, retailers. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, that would never happen in Muskie though. But and, and because, well. and I think that's because I, I honestly believe that's because the, the market is not big enough. Absolutely. That, you know, the, the fish is not sustainable enough to market right. it enough. But so think about it. Like, you know, musky fishing is one of the, very few last bastions of it's true. homemade and it's always going to be there yeah like because the mass you know, production people buy people buy what they what what is what they want and you know you like if you if you make something and it doesn't sell hey it doesn't sell you know there might be a chinese knockoff somewhere of uh uh a wiley like a stalker or you know what i mean like some handmade bait that will dive to 35 feet, you know, that you can't get at Bass Pro Shops, but it won't last because it's not going to sell unless they can market it to the to the saltwater world. So, yeah, you, you totally touched on it. The other thing, too, is the relationship aspect of this, because, you know, Greg, like after talking to you, like I want to buy a Leela lure. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, And it's, it's like, about why, why like, would I want to buy? Why would I want to fish something like it? it something else other than someone i've known and you know you, you learn <laughs> so I, I have some buddies who are like i met through musky fishing or or some other buddies who fish and it's like i feel bad because they just that's all they use is my lures and it's like they'll go out there and they'll go a week straight and not catch a fish and it's like is it my lure is it muskies is it georgia bays or whatever and i feel terrible you know but i'm honored i'm like truly flattered that I'm able to make something from hand that is a tool that somebody is actually like looking at or really appreciating or using as like a, as a tool to do their passion. That is like, so I don't even know how to say it. It's, it's, it's touching and I, not to come off soft or anything, but man, it's heartwarming. It really is, you know, and it's, it's overwhelming sometimes emotionally. Like it's, it's this, this, this network of, of musky people, it's small. It's everybody knows everybody once you've been in it and you've networked for a while. If they don't know directly, they know, they know that person indirectly, even though it spans a huge North American geographic area, it still is really small. The, you know about the guys, especially now with social media, which I'd, I'd love to touch on, um, sort of where you were, to to bridge what you were talking about ryan and the the, the todd youngs and leah parties and the the old school guys like um you know indirectly somebody knows somebody and you you know a guy that's fish, fishing up in minnesota you see his his videos or his pictures or whatever and 
maybe that guy was fishing with, you know, that old timer that he was taught and he was shown the spots and it's carried over, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's a lot of carryover in this world. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I have a lot to say on, on the etiquette of musky fishing that's happening nowadays with social media and people posting and, and blowing up spots and Georgian Bay has got a, the guys that I know on Georgian Bay, um, every one of them has success really, really hard earned. Um, speaking from my own experiences as well, I literally went over a decade fishing water and I never caught a muskie on it. And like, that's, it's humbling to say, and a lot of people don't want to admit stuff like that, but I literally fished Honey Harbor for 10 years before I caught a fish. <clears throat> and not like die hard, like just, you know, weekend warrior in the summers as a kid going up there and just, just going out there and fishing or whatever. But once you get on to spots, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it means a lot to you to be able to have success that you've earned yourself. And these old timers, like that jacket, the spots and mm -hmm. the history of what that jacket is seen and that person that's in there and who that guy brought out in the boat is his nephew or his son or his son's friend who picked up on it and carried it down down who is now out there with you know two gopro heroes and he's videotaping whatever and stuff it there's a lot of carryover now to the old timers techniques and you would never see the like to, to bridge it over you would never see the inside of the leopardi shop if it weren't for you Ryan taking a camera in there and doing it because it's just not their mentality. It's not the type of people they are to show off what they're doing and stuff. They just, they just make lures. They just make a tool. They love doing it. They love muskies, right. but they don't think about it in the way as like, I want to show yeah, my humble. shop to the people. And like, this is a different generation, the way that, that the younger guys think. And I don't know about you. I'm, I'm 47. So I'm probably a little older than all you guys, maybe only by a couple of years, but 46 here. So yeah, <laughs> you still got like color yeah. in your hair. Yeah, really be the, the gray, the gray, the grays on the uh, on the old beard. I've so I, I I I come at this fishing thing from from a different perspective than a lot of the the, the guys that I'm selling lures to or talking to who have seen me or my giant bait video and they're reaching out and they're talking to me and I have a really hard time relating to a lot of people. Well, for one, I'm 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 a little bit of an introvert. And I, I, I have a little bit of social anxiety. So when I'm in public talking to people, you know, it's, it's a little bit for me to get over. So when I'm trying to talk to people, it's a little unrelatable when they're talking about pictures and videos and numbers and influencers and, and products and stuff like that. I, I, I have a little bit of a moral difference with a lot of these, this younger generation, and I don't want to make a hard stand on it, but you know, I have a bone to pick with a lot of people online and influencers. I don't have, I don't have, uh, you know, any type of in online presence ever other than Instagram. Like, cause I don't want any part of that shit. Yeah. Well, let not me to say that it's wrong. It's not wrong. It's, it's, it's what musky fishing is about now because it's catch and release. So it's getting that photo. And that going through that experience with your buddy, like I was out there this year with um, Noah, Noah Clarkie, uh, Noah Clark, I call him Clarkie, Clarkie Bates. And um, yeah. we caught a fish 
and it was a big fish and it was the first time I'd fished with him before. And it's like, man, you just bro hug it out. I almost could have kissed them. It was such an experience. We got a, a, a big yeah. fish. It was a 52 or 53. And it was like right away. It was, a, it was just a great experience. You know, it was on water that it was like he'd fished and he'd never caught a fish on. And it was, it was like that nemesis for him. You know, it was such an experience. Awesome. That's not hitting. That's not hitting social media. You know what right. I mean? But you want to, you want to share it. And don't get me wrong. I might've posted a picture of it or whatever. And, it's a huge now. It's a huge marketing thing for me. He caught it on one of my lures. That same day, we lost probably even a bigger fish on one of his lures, uh, his thirteen-inch Yomama, which is a, a, a throwback to a, a Jake or a Grandma, and it's got a knocker in it. Really, really nice action. Not super deep diving, but we caught it on a spot I've been fishing for thirty years and have never raised a fish on. And there's stories, the net bender was caught on this spot. Um, George and Bay lure, you know, yeah. You know, like it's a great name. Fair winds right on fair winds, you know, and there's, it's just the area is it's nostalgic for so many people who fish honey Harbor and there's not a lot of fish in there. It's a lake trout basin. It's a lake trout hole. And I've been fishing it every time I'm out there. It's part of my milk run and I never caught a fish on it. And I'm out there with Noah and we'd landed a big fish earlier. And then we're hitting this fish at the end of the day and just, get this big rip and we're fighting this fish and it's bulldogging it's down i'm like oh my god i'm watching the way that this fish is fighting i'm like dude there is not a small fish in this basin this is this is 40 pounder lake trout water like right here and we caught it down like 25 feet this is a huge fish and he's fighting it and fighting it and then it goes just limp and i am heartbroken and i'm watching noah You don't know what you just lost. <laughs> like, I don't even want to play this out. Like how emotional that loss was because that was, that was a, a November Georgian Bay bulldogging massive fish. That was easily a 40, 45 pounder fish. And uh, it was just such a great day. You know, you, you hit on something too. I, I mean, and Ryan was kind of talking about it before, but that idea of like the, um, social media side of it but then like on the other side of the coin the old school mentality of you know some of those bait makers and i think when you were saying that i think about like my pap who was in world war ii and we always used to ask him about it. he's like it was just a job like it was we're like you were you drove a landing ship in the pacific it wasn't just a job and he wouldn't talk about it he's like it's just a job it's just it was just, terrible well he's just just what we did and yeah. And you, but you think about the the mentality of that stuff, and, and especially with musky fishing, the industry, and how it's really personality driven. Like, what other thing can you go and talk to the the guy that made your bait? Like, I can't go talk to the guy that made my reel, and or the guy that made my rod, you know. But I can mm -hmm. the guy that made my boat. Like, I can't find Jim. You know, shout out to Jim who made the the boat. Whatever. <laughs> Thanks, like, Gary. Thanks, Gary. But I, but I could talk to you and I could go talk to Leo and I could hit, you know, and, and even if they don't want to share that stuff, it's like there's a real connection that's really you know dope about all that stuff. The yeah. transmission, the transmission in my car. I can't go talk to that person. I can't go yeah. talk to him, but I, I, can, wanna, talk, I can talk to Owen about blades I can't, and I can go take my hand. Or wherever them, wherever those people from. But, I gotta say a, this. That's a cool thing, though, that, to have that you know such a such a thing, and all in the same world. It's true. 
Dude, it's are, right. are we getting are, are we getting drunk Owen back? Is drunk Owen back? <laughs> yes. Owen's deteriorating. I think maybe. <laughs> He's back. I want to say this about social media. Like I started down this path years back and it was one of those things where I wanted to express my love for fishing and what my channel had turned into. Eventually I got away from doing videos of actual fishing because there's a million channels out there that do fishing and where I've decided to spend my time is trying to help people see benefits of certain things like muskie zinc like going to a muskie show like what can you learn like i to my to my knowledge i've got to be one of less than 20 people in the country that truly covers muskie shows like rolls up to a muskie show with cameras interviews people at booths walks around takes footage and puts takes the time to put a video together explaining the experience of the show I don't know anybody else who does that. And, and the reason I did that is because Musky Max, my first show that I ever did that for, that was one of the reasons that got me into fishing. Like I, I tell the story, like I bought grandmas from grandma herself at wow. Musky Max. And I still have those baits to this day. Like, so I, one of the things that, wearing? one of the, I'm not even answering that. One of the things that bothered me about social media was when I would post a video of fishing, I would get constantly beat on for spot burning and constantly beat on for sharing too much information. And part of it was like, I want to just share what I'm learning. Like I want to show people like how fun it is to go musky fishing and what I'm learning. But you've got all these other guys that are out there doing it for other reasons. And it just, it's turned into more of an outlet to kind of show people like certain things like Leo's shop, you know, what it's, what it, what it looks like for him to make a bait every day. And I've kind of like carved out this other like little space for my channel that that's not necessarily sharing fishing videos. Like, yeah, I, I share our, whenever I go to, I've gone to St. Clair with Leo twice now, you know? Yeah. I'm going to put those videos up because we're using Leo's like Leo's a good friend. Like I want to promote his baits and show what's being caught on there. That's a great and, thing to do. And that's a positive aspect of social. Like that's where you can show people what your lures do. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you. Like I, I do think, and, and that's why I've gotten away from doing videos of me fishing, especially in my Creek spots, even though I post pictures because the only reason I'm on social media is to see fish pictures and baits and everything else. Like I've gotten away from that because it spot burning's real. And oh, it absolutely is. And I learned the hard way that it's real. And I, I went through that pain of people beating the crap out of me for it. But I realized like it's a real thing. And even though I will post videos like every once in a while, Owen, you guys can attest to this. I post maybe six, seven videos a year, maybe. You know, it's not something yeah, I mean, dude, you don't you don't post shit anymore. I mean, like, and it's it's the, the reason for it is because I don't want to I don't want to. Back to what Greg was saying about the work and things being passed on. I've just gotten to a point where. I feel comfortable to go out and fish and have fun and learn and take what people have taught me and put it to use to put fish in the bag. And what that's translated into me for this year, this past year was getting four, 
four or five first muskies in my boat, people that never caught a fish before. Right. And it's given me like a way to give somebody like Jace Plocky a memory of his first muskie. We captured that on video. That's not for likes. That's not that's for awesome. That's not right. for I mean, anything other than giving Jace Plocky a snip of his first muskie, something that he can look mm-hmm. back on 10, 12, 15 years from now and say, that was my first fish. So, all right. So remember uh, it. And that's, the, he'll that's, always remember it. No, I mean, that's, that's the shit that, I don't know. It's small shit like that. You know what I mean? Like you, it's, uh, yeah, no, it is. Know. It is. So that experience that you went through that muskies are so hard earned. Even in easy water, it's still a really hard-earned fish. That's what makes musky fishing so awesome is it's a fish of 10,000 casts, and it's so prehistoric, and it scares the shit out of you. It makes your knees knock. So when you're out there and you hook into a fish, or maybe you put somebody onto a fish, or or you're you're in a boat with other people, and you have that experience, it doesn't even need to be a giant or something special. Just catching a muskie with those people, you've been through that experience with them. If you're able to get that on camera and a video and like dial into that emotion, the action of the fish where you're fighting it or any of that stuff that you remember, you know, when you think back of like your first muskie or that experience that you went through, if you catch that on camera, that's a really special thing. And it's, it's a testament to you, Ryan, if you've got that stuff on video and you're not posting it, because I oh man, if I had that, I think about it. Some of the shit that I went through this year, I'll tell you a little story in a second, but like if I had it on camera, I absolutely would be posting it. And it's probably not the best thing to be posting because maybe it was out of season or maybe it was illegal or maybe I was in a fury because I just fucking casted a bulldog at this boat's fucking 10 feet away from me who came right up on my spot or, you know, and I'm cursing and swearing or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, if I had the video of those experiences, I would be editing like crazy because I'll be honest with you. That's what I was dancing around earlier is when you're out on your spots and you're fishing and this is a harder in spot, you've been fishing it for 20 years. You haven't shown anybody. It's a honey hole. You raised the giant on it. You've never caught a fish on it that spot means something to you. Yeah. But on a map, maybe doesn't look like a whole lot. And you've never seen anybody else fishing it. And you roll out your spot and you're casting around it or you're trolling it. And then this fucking ranger or this, this blinged out boat, or it doesn't even need to be that. I'm just a angry, jealous guy. This (laughs) boat full of young guys, hotheads rip up onto your spot and set up and drop their trolling motor. uh, You know, 500 feet away from you and start casting the same reef that you're fishing what is wrong with people to do that who what would make you do that there's a million miles of fucking water in georgian bay or nipissing or whatever and then this boat comes right up on your spot what is that person thinking where is that mentality and what that is is social media that's shown that guy where to fish he's he's deduced it from a video or taken tactics that he's been told by somebody else or something and found this reef on a map or whatever. Somebody showed him or he saw somebody else or whatever. And he's coming out there and he's just adding it into his milk run. Regardless if you're there or not, he's just ripping through that spot. 
I can't fucking stand that because that's not the mentality of a musky fisherman that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And when I'm I'm seeing that stuff or experiencing it, and boom, I hook a big fish, and I'm fighting a fish, and this other boat's right there. I almost want to cut the line and not catch that fish, so that guy doesn't. It doesn't just secure that that guy is on the right spot. You right, know what I mean? just let it go. Let it just, go. I, that's that's my instincts. I start looking at the other boat or something. You know what I mean? It's like I am such a uh old i don't know what to say it an old school like apprehensive fisherman out there i get so angry it's like i'm territorial of spots and i don't know if it's maybe just the years that i've put in and not caught a lot of fish because there's a lot of that i get skunked probably five to one uh the time that i'm out there i put a lot of time in and so there's that whole thing going on there with the video camera you know i'd love to and i talk to chris all the time he's He's a real tech guy. He's got lots of GoPros at hand and stuff. And we were almost going to bring them out with us this year and start setting up in the boat. And I'm glad we didn't because almost every fish that we bagged this year, there was somebody that there was some bullshit that would have needed to be edited out. Edited out. It's an earned sport, right? I mean, right. the stuff it, like musky fishing is something that takes work and skill and yeah. It you it's it's a hard earned thing like poorly made musky memes. If everybody could do it, it'd be your mom, you know. And like, <laughs> but I mean that's but that's the thing. Like if you work really 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 hard at your job or at a career or at a craft, and then somebody comes in the easy way, you know, like it makes you feel some kind of way. I don't Absolutely. know. And and musky fishing to me is that. I mean that's part of that stuff and and well that's even... where kind of the r d like you know you gotta put like you said you don't you don't you, you're not gonna you're gonna fish something you're gonna run something for a year before you put it out there you know that's the, for the most R&D. part i'm gonna try yeah i am yeah, releasing dude. a new bait at the new york show that i've put very mm-hmm. little r d in i've made a few prototypes i've run them but it's not really the kind of bait that i would use on georgian bay so i haven't put a lot of time well, in. that was actually that leads me right into you know where i was going was like for the new york show what like if someone was was like all right i'm gonna go to the leela booth what are they expecting to see is it only the big ass nine inch to 12 inch baits or are they you know because no. honestly honestly man musky max if you were to come to musky max here in western pennsylvania and you were to bring nine inch to 12 inch baits dude you would walk you would probably go home with almost every fucking bait still with you same as the new york show because last year i i it, sold probably 20 baits tops yeah because because the big baits just simply are not right. you know what what the typical customer is looking for so if someone's coming to the leela bait leela booth at the new york show like what are they looking for right now well i'm hoping that i'm gonna appeal to the fisherman that doesn't strictly fish um, you know, PA waters or or waters that that it's all little um shad shad base basin, yeah, where it's all small yeah. baits. But I will have a, a really good assortment of six inch mini jammers, which is a, a the smallest bait that I make, which is really applicable to to your audience there. Yeah. Then the shallow jammer, which is the nine inch bait, which is also a, a great asset for later in the season, Chautauqua stuff like that. Um anywhere on the Larry uh, and then up from there, the regular jammer, which is uh, the bigger lip deep diving standard staple bait that I make. And then from there, I'm going to make a jointed jammer, 
very few limited numbers. And I'm also going to make a jointed mini jammer, which I don't typically have those for sale directly. I'll usually only that's, raffle that's or auction those. Yeah, I'm going to do the six inch and jointed, and I'll probably have about 10 or 12 of those. Okay. And cool. um, the six inch jointed mini jammer. And then I'll also have the jointed regular jammer, which I'll probably have about a half dozen of those. And I'll also have a jointed shallow jammer, which is something I haven't released to anybody yet. Um, it's a pretty wicked bait. It's uh, mm. Nate, nice and shallow. Nate, it's it's a nine inch Nate, bait jointed. I don't see you. I don't see you taking notes over there. <laughs> it's all up here. I'm at, uh, they're all. <laughs> it's all added to the long <laughs> list of things that. Yeah, <laughs> see, I, I wish it's a people long Well, I also, I also wrote down. I did just write down knee knocker. That's what I'm going to call the next big fish I catch. <laughs> it, I like that. So yeah, yeah. yeah the knee that's knocker. What I that's a good if you one. No, that's yeah. what I wrote down. <laughs> see, that's where that's where I think too. Like after you spend enough time musky fishing, like I'm I'm not afraid of big baits anymore. Like initially. I was like, I was, right. I was terrified of big baits, but when you spend a couple years, you know, you get into it, you catch some fish, you kind of realize like, dude, a nine, 12 inch bait, like, even though it looks giant because, you know, we're, we're talking about Husky jerks earlier. If you compare Bro, those two, that is literally that is nothing, nothing compared nothing. to these fish. And that's the thing, like 35 inch fish, they'll eat a nine inch, 12 inch bait. I've seen oh, it. Oh God. Yeah. You know how many fish I've, seen it. I've caught on the 12 inch bait? It's, it's insane. It, it, they these fish these fish will eat those baits and again like back to the versatility like that's the thing people don't pick up on you know we talked about this with tom like go back to what was that last fall you know i was was that last fall hunks fall trip whatever whatever year it was where i got that 45 on canon dota oh yeah 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 we were nice. taught like this is the thing that that we talk about, like Tom was saying about buying these baits, he was getting a lot of shallow running type baits. And when he's out there, we're, we're essentially running 23 feet of water. Like <laughs> I'm running a DK perch baits. Like I'm getting down because baits were marking bait 10 to 12 feet down. And Tom has to let a hundred and some feet of line out to get whatever bait it is. Whereas I've got 20 on a DK or I got 15 or 20 on a perch bait. You know, like people like these bigger and baits got, and you got that, you got that fish on. Yeah, what? it was on, it was a nine inch DK, but DK. And that's right. the thing, like muskies, muskies are muskies. Like I know that different bodies, they do different things, but at the same time, like a, a, a 45 inch fish in the state of Pennsylvania is going to eat a nine or 12 inch bait the same as they would on other bodies of water. You just you can't be afraid to look at these bigger baits like anybody listening to this like don't be afraid to look at bigger baits because a lot of times like a nine inch lila that's going to give you again like the versatility to be able to fish deeper but when you when you're fishing a reservoir like lake arthur we've got a lot of cribs we've got a lot of crap that's down there that you can get snagged on just shortline it just shortline it just pull that line up and get that bait up in the column and it's going to do the same thing and you're going to be able to run that stuff and you're not going to have to worry about losing a hundred or two hundred dollar lure get you a bait oh, great. you can do both right nate nate great. was out there with with me when i was remember i put that that 50 finder out mm -hmm. like yeah. 
Well, Ryan, you, Ryan gave me the the confidence to run that perch bait on a short line, and that's where I caught my last one. Just you got to just know the bait and I like and big baits, and I cannot lie. You target if you target <laughs> some it. of that stuff, it's going to give you what you need to be successful throughout the entire year. Because you don't have to run small stuff even in spring, you know. And it's just you just got to feel confident in it there's and a, look at it as a tool. There's a a great bite early season opener on huge baits mm -hmm. there's a great bite on on pigeon sturgeon and the quarthas a lot of guys are going right up in the shallows and stuff just go out into the main basin and try a little bigger bait suspended it'll be you'll be shocked at, at what you'll what you'll come into oh yeah that post spawn deep water stuff shallow yeah, like that's unreal i don't it's know unreal. what it is man the suspended the suspended bites real for sure it's it and that's yeah. what i love about this stuff is because over time i've learned like even though i'm very comfortable with the baits i run it's taken me a long time to get there i feel good at where i'm at to where i could tell you like I could pick up a nine or a 12 inch Leela and I would know as long as I know the depth curve on it, you know, or if I need to take my fish hawk out there and hawk it, as long as I know where that thing's at. That, that was going to be a question I had was like, how comp, like, you know, wood baits are kind of difficult to, you know, consistently keep at a certain number so like do you have dive curves that you are really comfortable yeah i with? everybody who i give a bait to i i i text or you know show them online where they can just reference the dive curve because it's essentially three to one it's it's a two to one to about 15 okay. feet and then from that point on it's three to one and they're all basically the same and i dive curve them at four miles an hour on pen optics and um from that point on you know, depending on the water, the speed, the line that you're using and stuff, it varies, you know, up to five feet, yeah. give or take. But yeah, it's, it's, it's essential to know where your baits are. Definitely. Yeah. So looking forward to the New York show, like, uh, are you doing any other shows in the New York show? Yeah. So we do the Odyssey. Okay, um, cool. So yeah, that's that's really the only two shows that I've done. Uh, last year, I did the New York show for the first time and realized that it was a bit of a smaller bait market. Um, yeah. That being said, I am going to bring a bunch of 12s. I will have a 16 or two, and I will have the the big 20-inch just to show because it's freaking cool just to look to put at. Up, yeah, <laughs> just to put it up there. That's all, you know, just, just to look at. But um, I was thinking about doing like a, a raffle you know maybe you get yeah, a ticket some, with a bait or something just something fun to do you know what I mean? just for yeah, the coolness something. factor you know i was thinking about it i don't know i might donate something big i don't know we'll see what it is but i'm definitely gonna bring a big bait element to the show um cool. but i'm gonna have new stuff that i'm hoping is gonna be uh what people want to try out jointed smaller baits shallow baits the the shallow jammer jointed shallow jammer and then the the mini jammer and, and the jointed mini jammer all new baits so first That's time cool, i'm man. selling them to people directly i've done a few raffles online with them but i haven't uh haven't actually sold any jointed shallow jammers to anybody so i, I really hope i really hope a lot of people show out to the new york show this year you know it, it i i did the new york show in 20 
I didn't do it last first year. One. I did it the yeah. year before. Yeah, the first one. And, you know, it was it was awesome. I mean, in in honestly, everything that Katia has done to this point seems like it's going to be even better. You know what I mean? Like, I am, I'm honestly, I am really, really, really looking forward to that whole weekend. I'm looking forward to spending time with people, you know, like you guys, like you and Adam that we've spent time with, uh, you know, talking to, uh, you know, by computer. And it's like, I, I'm really <laughs> looking forward to, to being able to, to talk to people in, in, in person and to our listeners. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. I am looking forward to going and buying baits from Lilo Lures and from Adam and from all these guys. Like, I can't wait to go to this show to be able to spend my money on on the guys that I know are making good baits up there. And that's the honest, honest to God truth. I mean, like, I, I am. All I, I want to get up there and I don't want to act like I'm going to go, you know, buying every good bait on Friday night. But you know what? Like, I'm gonna, I'm, hey, I'm gonna go making some deals. That's I'm gonna go. Happening. I might. I might go. Some make, I might go making some deals. You never know. So I, dude, I'm really pumped about this. My yeah, whole family's so, coming. My kids are coming. Like my wife is coming. Like we're. No, it's gonna be awesome. So like like you touched on, Katia's really. Uh, she's put a lot of work into it this year for marketing. If you look at the list of vendors, yeah, it is insane. There's a lot yeah. of really big big time vendors there and but um, she's done a great job of kind of kind of spacing things out of yeah. having not a lot of vendors that are in the same niche you know what i mean like but I, it's gonna not be a, a great there, show there's not like you... 10 there's not 10 bucktails makers there's not there's you know what I mean? there's a variety like, yeah, yeah that's yeah. what i mean it's a great show where you can go and and just see some stuff that you wouldn't normally see in that venue and uh i like the way that she's prompted all the all us builders or or, or vendors to do a, a marketing video. Have you, have you done yeah. that? Yeah. And, yeah. And I did a little it? one just, yeah, I posted, this is where I might, might have to do a new one, you know, I, after seeing Zach's like, he's really, I'm going to oh, follow his format his. on that did video. He, like that's a the, great video. He, he, up the there. <laughs> he really did. I watched it last night. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So I'm going to follow his format once I get a, a couple of jointed baits uh, painted up. I've just been building for a while now. So once I get a few more finished, I'll be able to go through the lineup. and. I will follow his him. format as soon as my camouflage G-string comes in so I can film it <laughs> appropriately. Got some extra Filled stuff it. to show, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I, listen, I got, I got just to go. I, it is not just big O. I got two <laughs> questions real quick. I want to sneak these in because I haven't asked that. I haven't had a chance to ask any goofy, goofy questions. So, Greg, when you're out there on the boat, what's your footwear choice? Oh wow! Okay, so um, hey dudes, uh, oh, I, 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 dude. wow! Did I'm you guys just become best friends? Oh my god! So dude. I just, I just, uh, Ryan, I just killed Ryan's a pair of hey dudes. Three times bigger. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> I'm all red. So they're now. really comfy. I, I like those. I wear them as slippers around the house as well. And uh, so I'm a I'm an old runner. I was always a, a long distance runner. So I like good running shoes. So like well built um, Sauconies or, or New Balance, not like your dad white shoes. New Balance. <laughs> I mean like actual running shoes, like Vazies or something. 
uh, super comfy. So yeah, that's that's pretty much what I wear. And then in the winter time, I, I wear really good Gore-Tex boots, <laughs> waterproof boots. All right, that's fair. I'm I'm like red hot over here. Got <laughs> I gotta cool down. Take a cold this shower, right? This has been a this has been quite the podcast. Hey, you know those hey dudes are like a throwback to the old Chucks. I don't know about you yeah. guys, but I used to wear those Chucks years and years ago, and it's yeah, like it's a it's they a. They don't remind me of Chucks. They remind me of like those bass bass holes like, bass hole shoes. Yeah, no, no like. <laughs> No, All right. like, I was a, I was a skater growing up, and, and okay. hey, dudes, don't they're don't not do a it for me. That's for hey, sure. Hey, yeah. dudes, hey, dudes are a huge part of my life. I wear <laughs> them to work every day. I do not wear them on the boat though. And and poorly made called me on this the other day, like a couple weeks hey, ago. Dude. I wear slides and socks, but I will say I did buy a pair of hey dudes to wear on the boat for 2024. So that's definitely going to happen. <laughs> yeah. nice. Okay, you know, second. I'm, I'm I'm fishing big water, so I've really leaned towards good, solid, grippy, comfortable footwear. So that's usually what I'm, I'm, I'm wearing: running shoes, right? Yeah, that's where I feel like I'm I'm ready to to fight whatever's going to be on the end of the line. The little testosterone induced. All right, what about what about what is your boat snack of choice? Oh, okay. Well, I'm a. <laughs> You know, I don't know, way back when there was a sort of nostalgic throwback to like having the, um, what the hell is that party? It's not party mix. It's the original party mix. mix. Not trail mix. Party mix, yeah. It's not party mix. Party mix is a knockoff of what I'm talking about. Shout out to Utz. Utz. (laughs) Anyways, it's like party mix. I can't think of the name brand of it. But um, anyways, I used to always have that in the boat and it was like a good luck charm for me. If I had that in the boat, I was going to catch a fish. This is when I was a kid. And so anytime I see that stuff, I always, I always buy that stuff. And then uh, on top of that, it's like, you know, pepperettes or something like that. All right. All right. That's fair. At least you eat on the boat. Oh, I eat yeah. a lot. I have a yeah, fresh appetite. Like, I'm a, yeah, we, I'm we a, asked so many people and they're like, oh, what's your favorite boat snack? And they're like, nothing. Air. It's like, uh, are you air? Are you human? Oh, <laughs> uh, dude, like, I kill food on the boat. So we're like, I don't like I asked you guys the question. I'm, I'm out there. I don't get an early start. I haven't had really great success on Georgia Bay early, early in the morning. Me unless neither. it's like late yep. in the season. But but um, I go out usually for about eight or nine o'clock in the morning and I'm out there. I fish a couple hours after dark. There's a good night bite out there. And that that sunset bite is probably my favorite. So I eat three meals in the boat. You know, I go through a, a full thermos of coffee. Yeah. I eat, uh, I bring leftovers out there, usually like a stew or a soup or a minestrone, homemade wow. soup or something. I'm a, <laughs> I like, I like that kind of stuff. So. That's impressive. Hearty. He likes a hearty meal on the boat. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. respect it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not for me, but I respect it. I'll bring popcorn, you know, like uh smart mix. We'll, we'll, eat a, we'll, we'll kill a bag of smart mix or Doritos out there as well. That's yep. a- that's what did people take this stuff too seriously. Like, listen, I go out on a, when I, when I get a day to fish, I want to be out there all day. Like I want to get there early and I want to fish till dark, but that's because I have limited time. Like if, if you're going to ask me what I do in the fall, I roll in there. Like D and I, the last day I fished with her, we, we didn't get on the water till like 1145. That's caught cool. a fish, yeah, caught, a like fish in a, caught a fish in four minutes. 
and that was it. Wow. So Ryan, like that's, that's how I like to fish, man. Honestly, I, I probably fish 30 to 50 days a year. And I'd say about 75% of those are like four to six hour days where I've like, I've gone to work in the morning. I've got off early. Cause I start, I start at 6am in the morning. So uh, I'll be home by 10 or 11 sometimes where I've, I've got whatever needs to be done. And I'm like, fuck it. It's beautiful out. It's calm. It's like, there's a storm coming. It's like, I want to be the storm chaser guy and, you know, prefrontal conditions, risk my life. Like, <laughs> and I'll zip up there and do a solo three or four hour and, you know, hopefully bag a fish or two. I do more of those trips than anything else. I'll tell you what, you show up my house at 6 a.m. to put flooring in down at my downstairs. I ain't answering the door. <laughs> yeah, I'm a commercial floor installer. Uh, if, yeah, you, sc- if you schedule them, you want them. That's what you. you want them there. I got you. Commercial yeah. only, yeah. yeah. I, had a, I had a question for everybody. Jin's what? guys get any uh, fishing gear for Christmas? I gave some. Oh. Ooh. Yeah, but uh, no, I didn't get any. No, I didn't get any either. Like, no. When you're an adult, you don't get any presents. I got a you nice hoodie. That's about it. You didn't tell anybody to get you uh, any fishing gear or nothing? No. Mm-hmm. I got a whole box of lures from Todd Young right before. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, last year was the first first time I met Todd at the at the New York show. And, man, what a nice guy. He came up to me. I had uh, donated a couple baits to their, their bait review. And I threw in an extra one for Todd to to try out on out on his guide surf. Easler, Met him at the show last year too. Nice. Um. Anyways, yeah, he came over and he was just so gracious. So like, just just want to talk to that guy all day long, man. Such a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. That is yeah. Nick behind you there, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's fees. <laughs> yeah, I met him last year at the show. He was, I remember, I didn't put the face to the name. So I was talking with uh, Big O there. Um, yeah. I didn't know that I was said, Nick. I didn't know that was part of the show there. And then I remember, oh, yeah, I sold him a 12-incher. And he was, he was Dude, talking about. Nick, Nick is the bait assassin. Okay. <laughs> Nick, Nick is the silent assassin when it comes to almost everything musky fishing. Like he won't say anything and then like you'll bring it up and he'll he will know like literally everything about whatever <laughs> you're talking about. And it could be a Canadian bait. It could be you know, that that's, that's actually where where I kind of, you know, got my thing with uh, hooker baits and you know all these kind of like weird Canadian baits because I used to always like joke with Nick, like, is that a hooker bait? <laughs> and uh you know because he's like this this kind of like this weird bait historian well you can you can burn he's not here to defend himself you can burn him was he the one that paid the crazy amount of money for the 20 inch lure <laughs> not that very well honest, could have been. Not, that been him. <laughs> we'll just say been, let's just say it was nick. <laughs> down with the nick <laughs> Yeah, shout out to Nick. I'm, I'm actually, I'm kind of upset he wasn't on here. I wanted oh. to. Have an now, you know what? He would have been on here last week had we been on. Had had, uh, but unfortunately, Ryan, you know, we suffered a loss in the family over yeah, there. I'm sorry about that, Ryan. That sucks, man. I've been through I, that multiple times over. It's terrible to go through. I appreciate. Did you get that. my card yet, Ryan? I got the flowers and the card. 
Did you get my card? Okay. I got it. I think I sent a thank you in the chat group, but as you guys are well aware, we easily miss messages in the chat group. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They they like ships passing in the night. Well, we've been on for three hours <laughs> and thirty minutes. This is insane, guys. I didn't think this would be so much fun. Yeah. And it is ridiculous. Yeah, it just went really quick. Right. It feel like we just started. I don't even want to. I don't even want to call it. I just want to stay up all night and drink three more. Nah, beers. I, know, man. I, I know. feel like I should add a couple of beers. But yeah, I was missing missing that point. We well, appreciate this, man. And, there's and always the after what, party. Man, I know that. For for myself, Nate, Ryan's gonna be at the New York show. Nick is gonna be at the New York show at least for some, you know, some period. You're, I think you're probably gonna get to meet all of us at some point at Great. the New York show. Awesome. Yeah, I'm. I'm honestly, that's that's the biggest thing. I'm not. I'd love to go down there and and sell a whole bunch of baits and make a killing. That's uh, that'd be great. But really, what I want to go down there is just to put a face to the name of people that have already bought baits that have told me they're going to be there. There's so many people that are going to, that have, have messaged me or told me that they're going to attend that show. It's, it's insane. See, the, so you said last year you didn't sell as many, I mean, you, you said like 20 baits. Yeah. I didn't, I honestly, it wasn't a wash. Like I, I, I did make a little bit of money. Like it was worthwhile to come across the border and, you know, risk that dude, whole the first sketchy time thing, but, the first time as a bait maker is so hard. I'm telling you, like I, I, I will always remember the first musky max when people are just walking by your booth and they're, they just don't know anything, anything about you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you're, you're starting from ground zero. They look, and, they look, they see baits, they see the price and they just keep walking. Right. And they're like, Oh wait, Wait, I wait, I can them. go spend that much money on a bait that, you know, with a name, so to speak. And that's really <laughs> what it is. You know, like, you know, you're going to to buy a bait that, you know, based on the 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 name of it. Yep. Yep, it's true. I'm sorry, I'm laughing at everyone. What did I do? Why, what's everyone laughing about? I'm just laughing at you. I don't what know. Do? You'll, you'll never forget it. Never forget your, your first, first your first musky show. <laughs> yeah, so that was the first. Uh, that was my third time doing a show. Uh, first time doing the New York show, and it was. Um, yeah, I was <laughs> swapping it around here. Eh? Sorry, Gary. <laughs> I'm losing. Yeah, it. it was. It was a. It was a great. The New York show is a great format where you can go hang out with the guys after the show on the uh, the first day. Uh, there's a restaurant there where everybody goes and has beers and eats their dinner and, you know, gets to hang out with the bait builders. And that's a really cool thing is, you know, just getting to meet everybody. And, you know, it's hard as a vendor. You can't just sort of, you can't walk around and spend a lot of time away from your booth, right? You want to be there to to talk to people. But um, I, I am bringing Sandra, the CNC guy with me. He came last year as well. So oh, cool. he's going to be helping out, me out there at the show. Shout out to Sandra. Yeah. Shout out Sandra. So yeah, that's uh he's an asset absolutely to uh dude and the guy honestly the guy's got horseshoes, man. Like he's first time I brought him out, he he landed a 47 or 48 inch fish in like 20 minutes on a 12 inch jumbo, a bait he made. 
And uh, the second time we went out, he got a 45 pounder, 43 pounder in like an hour. And Jeez. this is two times. I uh, Okay. Two out of three times I'd taken him out. He'd gotten some, some big fish. It's on Georgian Bay. Like the guy's got horseshoes. So he thinks musky fishing is easy. <laughs> he hasn't it's been like out <laughs> I know somebody like that. <laughs> yeah. Just like D. Yeah. But Did you... uh, I hope to get him out and, and uh, school him on the skunk. Now, have you and Sandro talked about what song you're going to sing for karaoke at the, at oh, the yeah. show? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's not happening. Oh, it's happening. It's got to happen. Now. Listen, listen I'll, I'll text you the lyrics to Muskies in the Stream. You learn them. Well, we can debut it there. Oh, we we have we have like lyrics to entire entire songs. Oh, oh that's great. If Nate's okay. if Nate allows me, I'll close this episode out with muskies in the stream. Listen, and I hope hopefully it's not the first time Joel's going to hear it, but I, I'm planning on singing it with Joel. I'll oh. only sing it with Joel. Sorry, oh, sorry, please, Greg. Please do that. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. All right, boys. I I gotta get I gotta get going to bed here at some point. You gonna make it up to the house? Do I need to come <laughs> down there and carry you up to the house? Are you in your garage? Where? Where is? Is this your bait shop? I'm down the shop. And where is that in the basement? No, yeah, it's just in the basement, like a. It's an exterior entrance, though. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so I I have to go out and then in. We we can't (laughs) out and then in. We can't all have a pound town. We just walk into. (laughs) And I'll have a with a green screen. A Nick Fiesler fat head on the wall. No, I'll change it he's up. He's got a green screen behind. You, him. <laughs> you know what's messed up is he changes his backgrounds all the time on these, and he, you don't even see his hands. Move. He's not even looking. He's not even looking. He's just click, click, click. It's just like, how do you smooth, do that? Smooth, smooth, man. Listen, we we can't all be tech teachers, but. Smooth <laughs> <laughs> moves guys. over here. All right. Good night. Hey, Greg, this has been a blast, man. I cannot wait to I cannot wait to hang out in, in New York and, and buy some baits and hang out with you. Get the place of face to the name and all that stuff. <laughs> It'll be great. It'll be great to catch up with you guys. Thanks. Thanks again for having me on the show. And good, it's man. Been, and to, it's and, been a and honestly, to all of our listeners, like seriously, like the whole point of these podcasts is to 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 say listen go check out these people because they're like real people behind real baits that are you know it's it's not this isn't like the the corporate con- con- conglomerate that everything else is go support these people that we that, that we have on here even if you don't come to support just come in and say hi just right come to the shows yeah, meet you don't the have people to buy. yeah just come shoot the shit got lots of stories i want to share his lures are sexy. Thanks, man. He thinks my Leela is sexy. <laughs> All right, boys. All right, guys. Thanks, Greg. Later. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks guys. Greg. Take See care. Guys. I had to shake him on my last case. Big O don't play. O don't play.